And now you want, let's see what else you dealt with in this. You see, essentially, you've got a lot of good information here. It just needs to be structured so that it makes more. Um, did you find any information about how Down syndrome, you know, what it is about Down syndrome that causes mental retardation? An explanation of that. Okay, you talked about amniocentesis, right? So maybe the last section is how amniocentesis can be used to detect Down syndrome. The conclusion is most satisfying if it relates somehow to... Yeah, okay? Okay. So it's a terrific beginning. Now you have to type and you have to just reorganize it a little. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm Sean Glynis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? <laughs> hey, Sean. I'm doing great. And do you want to know why? Because you got engaged to the love of your life. Oh, oh that's so sweet. Uh, yeah, I did do that. Um, <laughs> that that's a, that's because studs that's, came through? Is that, is stud, that right? Uh, w there is a working entry on alternative school teacher. This is in Studs Turkle's yes. working. Okay. All right, it's been a minute. Um, it's a pretty long entry, so I've got a couple excerpts here. Um I discourage competition in the classroom. The only one I accept is the student's competition with himself. He has to compete against where he is, against where he wants to be, and against where he has been. I think every kid understands that. They don't have to prove anything to me. Each kid has to prove to himself that he's worthwhile. There's no cheating here. There's no reason for it. We're not trying to jive him into learning. We lay out powerful materials in front of them and tell them they're perfectly capable of doing it and not to make any excuses about it. We use newspapers too and catchy urban stuff, but more as diversions. If you can, if you con someone into learning, you really believe they're not capable of it. So we're straightforward. Our learning materials are very hard. That's tough. I have some that may end up in college, but I don't push them. I sent a boy to a Latin school. He got scholarship to Latin school. Uh, he was so unhappy there, he did everything he could until I took him back. I thought he would have everything to make him happy. Bright, colorful people who smelled of the security, security of success. Friendly teachers, a magnificent building, all the books he can read, but he was missing something. Friendship. Yeah. So, a little bit. <laughs> what, what year is that book from again? Uh, 72? Okay. I want to say so. I mean, yeah, you could tell from the language uh, a little bit at some points. Yeah, 72. And he had been conducting the interviews, you know, for some years prior. So, um, but definitely has a bit of a flavor of the era to it, you know, maybe a little, a little more like Montessori ascendant kind of thing going on. But well, that's, um, it's interesting yeah. that that's coming shortly after high school one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess a lot of reviewers are, when they were looking at both high school films, kind of noting this thing we'd note sometimes of this charting of American 
change, you know, in, in ideals and institutions, uh, values. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, as you're noting, makes the case for that, uh, being concurrent, you know, with, with the first film as well. So, and it reminds me of this idea of competition against yourself is definitely something that, uh, I, I would say we see some of it, or we, we see that encouraged, whether it's between right. parents or teachers with students where it's, it's not really about other students. It's about like, okay, what do you want? And right. how are you going to do that? Uh, and like, you know, what are the obstacles that you're setting forth for yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, a couple notable longer scenes with students and uh, parent parental figures and teachers kind of trying to lead them to uh, holding themselves to account to a higher standard than maybe they are. Um, you know, trying to get them to, to verbalize, you know, what their goals actually are in a way that maybe they, they hadn't had to do before. Um, but, but critically making it about what they're verbalizing, uh, at, and not so much about what the parent wants or what the school is trying to maybe impose upon them. You know, it, it's, I think the, the connection between the, the working excerpt and the film is, is really, um, even though it's a bit more hippy dippy, it's about uh, individual instruction. You know, like cu customizing the education for each student. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, which we will de we'll we'll get into quite a bit. So we're discussing, if you couldn't tell already, High School <laughs> Two, nineteen ninety four, uh, film by Frederick Wiseman, uh, that covers Central Park East Secondary School in East Harlem. Uh, the film was uh, uh, cold from a total of 110 hours of film, um, and it premiered March 11th in Paris, March 19th in Boston, September 27th on PBS. Um, and the school, CPESS or CPES, I don't know how, how they pronounce the, the abbreviation, um, had less than 500 students compared to the 4,000 in high school one. Um, and those 500 students, uh, the body was 45% black, 45% Hispanic and 10% white. Um, and like always Wiseman said, he, he was looking for an institution that was working. Um, and I should say before we go further that um, this episode's guest, uh, Cynthia Lucia, who uh, was actually a high school teacher in nearby Westchester. Uh, she actually visited the school um, and got to meet uh, kind of the main subject, Deborah Meyer, um, and uh, which was cool. We had no idea that when we reached out to her that this was the case. So it was a little, little bit of found gold for us that we're very fortunate for because she brings a really great perspective of what's going on here that in a way that we couldn't have ourselves. Yeah, we, we could not have asked for a better guest uh, to cover this film. So I uh, look forward to that conversation. So Deborah Meyer, uh, she uh, started the school uh, and she's uh, an innovative educator. And like Wiseman, she's also a MacArthur genius. Um, and she's in the film a decent amount, uh, clearly very involved on a daily basis. I, I would say she's in the film less than a Marty Walsh, mm -hmm. um, but has a similar presence. 
She also shares some some space with uh, Paul Schwartz, her yes. co-director. Co you know, uh, I'd, I'd say between the two of them, you're probably getting about Marty Walsh levels. Yeah, I think so. Um, and Weissman said the negotiation process with, with uh, Meyer's school was uh, intensive, meaning he had to meet with teachers, students, and, and some of the students' parents even to talk through uh, his intentions in the process, which he said was uh, actually indicative of the school's sort of MO and how it deals with its mm -hmm. students and, and why it's a school that's working well, because uh, everyone is ultimately empowered in, in all of the decision-making process. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it... it uh... I think it you could kind of get a sense there's one scene where um debbie's talking about some sort of like impromptu assembly or protest or something yeah. and the friday's event is an example to me because um we haven't the slightest idea what's educational about friday and no and people we overwhelmingly voted in favor of that proposal without having the slightest idea who the four speakers are who the, what these workshops are, what the educational purposes of this. It's essentially, as far as I can see, it's because there was three or four kids in the school who have very strong convictions and have a definite ideology coming from their families and their backgrounds, uh, much like my own when I was growing up. And we have uh, one or two faculty members, or fact, you know, a few other adults who support that. And on the basis of that, which we wouldn't do for anything else, Pedagogically, I mean, we would think through anything else with a great deal more care. If we were going to have a an educational event lasting two hours in this school, we would spend a lot of time organizing. That they're they're kind of fast tracking. They're not going through their normal approvals process Rigor, because yeah. it's you know very timely and it needs to happen soon. Um, but you could you could sort of extrapolate maybe you know out to Weissman, you know, what they actually did have to go through by what they're describing they're not having to do uh, yeah. in this instance. Yeah, for sure. I like that member in his uh, journal says that Weissman, he talks about how Weissman has always stayed away from celebrity uh, or profile, mm -hmm. uh, unlike the other CV guys. But uh, Meyer is sort of Weissman's idea of a celebrity. Um, yeah. And we'll get into self-reflexivity later, but uh, Mamber says high school two can be looked at as a Wiseman, as Wiseman examining the similarities between his own ideas of what film should be and her ideas of education, as the two seem very much in sync. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, this is, we always say, or I guess, you know, Wiseman's always said he is looking for examples of like exemplary institutions mm -hmm. of what he's doing and he finally finds one <laughs> with central park east you know that's true and 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 um you know i, I i'll just mention to listeners we're recording this uh about a month later than our original interview uh with cynthia just uh due to scheduling um but it afforded me the opportunity to to and i think you too to, to revisit the film again um, mm -hmm. uh, with a bit of distance and we were talking, uh, off mic last time about our, our slightly different receptions. And, you know, I think you were a bit hotter on it than I was. Um, but on this time I, I really came around, uh, more mm. so, but I mean, not that I was cool on it at, in any sense, but I, I warmed up even further. Um, but you know, I think, it, it was interesting thinking about this idea of like a successful institution, because I think so, so much of what 
I'm drawn to in Weissman's work is about absurdity, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, that often arises from those disconnects between, you know, what, what would make an exemplary institution and what is actually being documented. Right. Um, and so I, the first, or, I mean, I'd seen it also many years ago. Um, but the first time I watched it recently, I, I was noticing that absence of kind of absurdity, sure. you know, like, like this is, and I think Mamber notes it too. Like this is kind of one of the, his most straightforward, yeah. like not cynical really at all films, you know? Um, but I think this time I was, well, also I was this time I was able to locate, I think a lot more levity than I was initially, you know, I was like, cause it was like, going back to this idea of the exemplary institution, like, like it, I was thinking of, um, there's a story about like David Lynch and twin peaks and Bob Iger, uh, who like wanted him to reveal the killer. Uh, Mm -hmm. and Lynch was like, no, you know, that's the goose that lays the golden egg. Once you reveal it, you know, the whole thing falls apart. Right. Right. And that's the goose (laughs) for Weissman's career, right. Is finding this, looking for this institution, never being able to find it really. But then once you actually get it, you know, like it, it really changes the dynamic a little bit, you know, like, and does it, does it, uh, take anything away, you know? And, and I mean, is it, is it, um, like less cinematic to to document competence, you know, mm. than than it is to document uh, the sort of failure of policy. Um, but I think I came around to the thought that like it's like that cliched line about jazz. You know, you got to listen to the notes they're not playing. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, like like absurdity here is present in its absence because yeah. you're always thinking about like, wow, you know, like, where is like, it coming from? Yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I started watching this with, with burn, um, let's go around. And that this, the first scene with the kid talking about socialism. Well, I think what it is is that for instance, I mean, this is the best time to talk about it, but the thing that happened with Rodney King, the decision that was made is probably not made because the people were, racist that they the jurors didn't make the decision because they well i don't like a black guy i think it was more the fact that they're more middle class they move into a middle class neighborhood and the middle class are the people that want the protection from the police and want the the police to be believed and if you in the and that's one way to get it by you know voting for well you have to give them the benefit of the doubt they need to get this person who's drunk they need this they need him off the road and they, i mean you have to give them that Things like that are going to continue to happen when things like that continue. You see what's happening in L.A. right now. The reason it's total chaos there is because there's no guidance. There's nobody to, to hold them. And that's why people are just getting killed. I mean, it's terrible what's happening. And it's not right. So how does socialism impinge well, on that? Socialism, the socialism explains it. Okay. And it tries to make a unity between groups. Because they're saying, they're saying it's not black and white thing. It's a social. It's poor and rich thing. They're saying that, you see, there was an Asian and there was a, and two, Lat- and two Mexicans or Latinos on the, on the jury, and they, they decide the same way. It's not because they, it's not because all the groups had a conspiracy against the, the Rodney King, but it was because middle, there was, they're all middle class. They moved into a middle class neighborhood, and that's a big problem. There's, there's, they say there's political reasons they don't want to do it in L.A. County, but... But that's a huge 
that's a huge thing to when you have. It seems like the most problems are really between the social classes and not really, even though the race it just hides itself under racism. She's like, where are they? You know, like, yeah. what, what is this? You know, like, uh, she, you know, she has seen high school and knowing this was high school too, she was really taken aback, you know, as I think probably most viewers are. And, <laughs> and you're almost waiting to have the rug pulled out from under you, right? Uh, and then it doesn't happen. It just keeps going, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there, there is levity, but it's in stuff like uh, I was watching a little bit with with Casey, and um, when they're talking to the boy in the second, you know, the third scene, um, and asking mm-hmm. him about um, if he thinks that this is a, a white school or a school run by white people, and all of a sudden you see, like, you know, he says, like, "If I had a black teacher, I think I would give him more respect than I would give you because he's black." And then you kind of see his mom's eye in the in like the left uh, part of the screen, and her eyes just roll because she's yeah. like not happy with his his response, and it's just like like that's funny, and the way that it's shot is funny, but it's not absurd. No, and like I was another early scene uh, we didn't talk about with Cynthia, but like it stands in such contrast also with high school one, but um, the first scene with, with Lev, right. That little kind of (laughs) kid. And he's like, he's almost doing like a Joe Pesci and Goodfellas thing. He's like, with this joke, who did you think was going to laugh? Who did you think the joke, who was the joke for? It was for Nathan. It was for Nathan. So you thought Nathan would enjoy you saying, or think it was funny that you were saying that somebody was going to beat you up after school. He doesn't, he doesn't, and I I just say, I just... I I just really don't understand how you could think a teacher would think it's funny that you shout across the room that you're going to get beat up after school. That doesn't make sense to me. I was just playing around. mm. But you said it was a joke. Mm -hmm. I was just playing around. And you thought that he would... It wasn't like, it wasn't like a ha-ha joke. It was just like, and I'd just be like, I'm just kidding, Nathan. Now, when you say playing around, what does that mean to you? I'm not sure. What do you mean by playing around? I'm just kidding. I'm just... Joking around, I'm, but it wasn't a ha ha funny. It's just like well, oh, jokes I'm just kidding. And kidding and playing around all to me sound like somebody should be having fun. And is that what you is that what you meant to happen? That Nathan would have fun with this? Don't when you say kidding around, playing jokes, all of those things in my mind um, make me think of somebody having a good time or having fun or laughing. And you thought by telling Nathan that Tom was threatening you and he was going to get you after school, that that would be fun for Nathan? I was cracking up. Yeah, he's so <laughs> funny. But, but thinking about the vice principal, right, and from Northeast, who we see in all these disciplinary scenes, uh-huh. you know, of just, like, be a man, you know, suck it up, do your work kind of thing. Like, uh, Paul kind of occupies that role here, and it's just, like, such... It's one of the film's most marked contrasts i think Mm -hmm. in in its approach to discipline um you know which we'll talk about with cynthia a good deal even even just thinking about the discipline in the the deaf and blind series like it's it's yeah yeah, so far away from that yeah but i mean like like so yeah what you know what is it when you happen upon a successful institution how do you translate that into film and and you know the way uh it operates here you know especially metatextually i think is just like very kind of unique um 
yes. license. Body and I want to get into a lot of that. I want to get into what happens when uh, it's an exemplary institution for Wiseman and also, um, yeah, how it plays uh, metatextually. I, I, I think um, I have a lot to add to that. But um, should, should we get the reviews out of the way? Okay. All right. So we have a Charlie Rose uh, appearance uh, once again. Um, this is what the second uh, time in a row, second one. Um, second in a row, yep. And uh, on this one, he said uh, he wanted to revisit a subject um, because you know Charlie says like, "Why high school two or whatever," and he says that high school uh, two is is interesting in, in comparison to to high school one because of the drastically different racial demos between the two schools, um, which I, I already mentioned. Uh, and uh, it, this interview talks about how uh, he thinks the, the school works because of the small class sizes and the dedicated faculty and, and the shared participation. Uh, he also talks about how everyone is treated with respect. He's, he speaks very highly of the, of the school. Um, and we mentioned this with Cynthia, but um, he tells Charlie Rose that his favorite scene in the film is the uh, young father uh, student telling his friends about fatherhood. Yeah, it's a, a pretty amazing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the the idea of um, a sequel, I guess, uh, is unique, <laughs> certainly. Um, talk, uh, not just for Weissman, but just in terms of documentary, you could say. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, could, I could definitely point to some, but... Um, you know, it's it, it's kind of novel there, especially high school being one of his most well-known films, a foundational sure. American documentary, you know, uh, let alone, you know, what it's actually about. Um, so, you know, a bit a bit of, um, I guess, not full circle, but just sort of br- bringing uh, inherently bringing the discussion of this film into a conversation of, you know, the history of America is viewed through the project, you know, the, just the relation to Weissman films. Like there's, there's no way to engage with this one, uh, just as a text on its own. Yes. Um, again, I'm, I'm very excited to, to get into some of the meat of this. Um, uh, because, uh, even though we talked a lot with Cynthia, like, you know, when you get to these four hour films, there's just like endless things you can keep talking about, but, um, um one one uh just quick on charlie rose uh you know again not not a ton uh super insightful uh here in terms of questions asked but he does ask because i think you know you could make an argument that the two films in tandem present a case of progress um weissman's asked if he feels optimistic about human nature and <laughs> uh, he gives a pretty characteristic non-answer yeah. middle of the road kind of thing that he's just he's not the first to notice that human behavior is ambivalent and ambiguous uh mm-hmm. so yeah thank and he does a that. lot of like yeah. um well i can't really speak to that like i, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> speaking about generalizations and stuff yeah but he does it with He's not pretentious or anything. He does it with levity and res- like respect for for Charlie Rose. Certainly. Uh, okay, so we have the San Francisco Examiner, Scott Williams. Um, this is an AP piece. Um, it's a brief interview slash review, and he says it's surprisingly upbeat for a filmmaker with a propensity for film with the bark off, 
which is a phrase I liked. Um, he says it's it's not a sequel to high school as much as a measure of how far public schools have come since 1968. Wiseman tells him that when he told people he was making a film about a school in Harlem, people always assumed it must be dangerous with lots of violence, but he said that wasn't the case here. Um, he says it's a film filled with communication of all sorts between people, multiple types of people, uh, such as students, teachers, parents, mentors, friends, uh, and via computers. And Wiseman tells him the following, it's a school built on process. People are treated with mutual respect. In one sense, it's people striving to achieve a democratic goal. It doesn't mean there's no firmness, no rules, no standards. They're there. It's that people are expected to live up to them. Yeah, they, uh, exact, I mean, yeah, exemplary <laughs> institution, um, K- KQED. Uh, this was for the PBS broadcast, still Channel 9 here in San Francisco. Um, but you know, Scott? The, the, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I wonder if he's still around. Um, but yeah, a lot of synopsis. Um, one, one thing I know, you know, is that the, the approach of the film, he says, makes for something intimate. Um, I wonder how much of that is, is approach necessarily, uh, thinking it's pretty similar to the first high school. Um, uh, but we, you know, I don't think you would say the first high school uh, document scenes of, of intimacy of kinds. And I think it's more reflective of the institution, you know, it's like, um, you know, Debbie, you know, the, the co-director is just seems so involved in individual student lives, you know, um, personal and, and academic, um, in a way that I don't think anyone at Northeast would have considered, you know, being, um, and that Weissman just happens to capture that. And, and so it's more just on the institution than, than anything Weissman's consciously doing, probably. Mm-hmm. Then we have The Village Voice, uh, which was by Beth Coleman. She spends a, about a third of the capsule detailing High School 1 before saying that High School 2 shows the limitations of the form. Uh, she mentions the whiteness of the staff and the diverse student body. Uh, she also says that uh, Wiseman ignores that social structure is not what it used to be, which makes the sequel more human interest story than iconic wrestling match. She finishes the piece by saying that 90210 catches the noise of youth culture in the hallways better than Wiseman's well-intentioned film. Oh, and, and she was the one talking about Lynch, too, right? I was just talking about Twin Peaks. Doesn't she say something that, like, she doesn't like David Lynch, but he can capture, like, the high schoolness right, right. of yeah, you yeah, know yeah. teens In and Twin stuff Peaks, yeah 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 um yeah it was it was really brief but she she it was a, enough time to stumble over herself a couple times i thought <laughs> <laughs> um i mean it's funny to invoke 90210 for sure yeah um that I d- that coming from the village voice doesn't really surprise me but but yeah i mean it's so limited in in its ideas of of documentary film yeah, I mean, you know, she says the form reveals its limitations, but doesn't really direct us to how that's the case at all. That we're supposed to pull that from because it's content. She says something that's uh, 
move contemporary society moves at warp speed you know in relation to society in philadelphia in 68 i guess and because of that this approach is not you know appropriate i guess Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm not really seeing that and and yeah the i not an iconic wrestling match i think the implication being that high school one is that so like going back to the sequel idea and maybe just kind of what people expect from sequels you know to just sort of rehash what was successful about the first one um Mm -hmm. so yeah uh disappointing variety uh speaking of disappointing by (laughs) daniel kimmel um in comically variety style uh it opens after a caveat that that wiseman can make can make films any way he wants by saying some editorial control could have been garnered could have garnered wiseman better fest and commercial prospects i think we talked about that with cynthia uh, but he's, he says the film is is interesting and filled with lots of humor and things worth examining, but it also has a lot of repetition and dead spots. Uh, Daniel also says the film's opening and closing are the only moments that exert any editorial voice and that cutting it down could have made it more user-friendly, which I thought was a, a very funny choice of words. Um, and then he, he finishes with the off-quoted... Uh, uh hitchcock line about how drama is is life with the dual bits cut out but wiseman leaves them in (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh we're in variety town and we had a (laughs) we had a a nice little reprieve uh for zoo but uh we're we're back with sort of same old same old um the funny how 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 smarmy like this in the village voice one are maybe they just Uh, resent having to watch a four-hour film i mean i think cynthia said something you know like that when you have to review you know all these new films every week you're like god you know this one's four hours you know that i could see that but um variety is always like very industry oriented what you were saying about you know even the i think he said even pbs prospects seem nil you know Mm -hmm. obviously not knowing that all these films are going to be on pbs regardless um and he says he's earned the right to make the films he wants especially for his own company (laughs) (laughs) as as if uh if you were you know uh, a hired hand it would be a, a dereliction of duty or something uh um and then curiously a couple curious things he says there's no connection between the two films besides the title uh which is just you know not not doing work uh not doing the job at all and and then it has a bit of an internal contradiction here um where he says that the film um or sorry, he's making these criticisms while saying that Weissman was wise to let the camera roll on uh, the King Lear conversation because you catch the growth of uh, that one student's response because uh, as the teacher kind of presses him on it. What, what do you think about Shakespeare and this man? Why would he, I mean, you know, what did you think of the play? I, you, you had least to say because of your... It's what? It was all right? Yeah. In what way? It was interesting. It was just, I don't know, it's just funny. I found it to be funny. You found it funny? In what way? Give me a dip when you say no, funny. It's the way, funny it's the way, ha-ha? Like, all the people, it's the way that all the characters acted. It was just, it's, just, it's like, almost like real life. 
Well, then, is that funny? It's I mean, funny because it ain't happening to me. But, <laughs> but, but, but it's great. Well, it's serious. It's like almost like real life, and it's like amazing that he could write stuff like that all the way back then. Yeah, which which is way back in the how many, you you did your research at 16th century, and he was writing about an earlier time. So um, it suggests to us that people perhaps don't change so readily. Maybe people are not. You know, we keep people we, still act like that now. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost like it's, it's like a, almost like a mafia type thing. That's what it seemed like. Everybody's killing each other, taking over power. Well, Everybody's I guess. All greedy. Yes, and I guess if you read Macbeth, this is even a better. Um, you had some of you read Macbeth yeah, we did. I did a or in Division Two, and uh, certainly the mafia holds up very well there. Yeah. I like I like that one better though. You'd like Macbeth better? Why? I guess because we did it, part of it as a play. Yet he's saying, you know, it needs a sharper edit. Uh, there's too many dull scenes, you know, right. like that things go on for too long. So like, but he's rightly recognizing that the beauty of Weissman's approach is that you these revelations are allowed to unfold in a way that, you know, just cutting for narrative uh, never would. Yeah, I mean, that King Lear uh, scene could have easily been cut to like the kid, the kid's early response, which makes you think that he didn't read it and right, doesn't have yeah. any ideas and is just trying to like get the attention off him, like many students do. But yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we have the nation uh, Stuart Clawans, which who we've uh, had multiple times before, and it opens with a fascinating thought. We talked uh, with Cynthia about this a little bit, but about watching the O.J. Simpson chase, which was right. the same year that this actually came out. Uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, um, but do you do you have the quote by chance? Um, he just called called the the chase a a sudden late triumph of minimalism. <laughs> which I thought was pretty sharp. He says yeah. some, some, something about uh, audience or people, viewers were watch, were paying attention to what they knew rather than what was in front of their eyes. Yeah. It's this, it's this idea of like slow cinema kind of, um, and the difference between like waiting for something that's not there and the difference between watching what is there um, if that makes sense, like uh, high school two is, you know, you're watching what's going on and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's not, you know, some sort of like, you know, exciting chase. Um, whereas watching the OJ Simpson chase, which was just like literally nothing happening for hours or whatever, yeah. besides this one car, just like, like if you were just watching. Yeah, it's uh, like the streets moving, <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. It, it would be like... Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, you're not, you, you know, people were enthralled with that, even though there really wasn't anything happening, but because of this extra textual thing or this like idea that something will happen. Um, anyway, he, it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, little thought bubble, but he, he goes on to say that in that moment, uh, conception had beat, had beaten perception meaning that, that people were less overwhelmed by what they were watching than what was behind what they were watching or what was implied. And he then asks, what would we gain from the world if we shut off our conception and just took in what was in front of our eyes? Um, 
and he talks about Wiseman's process or rather his technique of no narration and show, showing us what he saw while visiting, but adds something more interesting than most saying uh, the only two groups who try to show us reality simply by turning on the camera are CV filmmakers and home video makers, um, which is, is also interesting. Uh, he talks passionately about how the duration of high school two allows uh, us to see people and educators outside of stereotypes. Um, but as people uh, are trying to improve lives in real ways through real conversations, um, he mentions uh, issues that they have to deal with every day, whether it's homicide, parents fighting, uh, you know, the Riding King trial, obviously. And says the school helps them set their minds and hearts to these issues, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and he has some gentle misgivings about the length, but also kind of understands that uh, he's supplying more evidence of what the school is doing, which is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, he calls it less visceral uh, than high school with its parade of knaves and buffoons. Uh, <laughs> something uh, people keep, seem to note a, a lot about comparing these films. Um, but about the OJ thing, uh, which, yeah, we talk about with Cynthia, but uh, he has a good line that, you know, the people watching it would not be able to sit through a Michael Snow screening, probably. <laughs> um, but it's it's important and also what you were just noting he said about home video recording uh because i think you know often in the same breath when you're talking about the oj video you're talking about rodney king in terms of like you know la Civilian news events kind yeah. of thing and you know rodney king famously yeah it was was a, a home video recording um, which is very much uh, a presence in high school too. Um, and I don't know if you want to start going deep on the, the metatextual stuff, but I mean, thinking about that as, you know, a work of nonfiction visual media that had a significant impact on society uh, mm -hmm. in various ways, you know, uh, maybe um, in a way that is, uh, there's some recognition from Weissman from, you know, uh, or, um, but you know, just the way that everybody in this film, I mean, obviously they're grappling with the verdict and the lack of conviction for the police officers involved. Um, but it's all springing out of this documentary film, essentially, you know, um, this, un mm -hmm. uh, uncut, unedited, you know, non-narrative, um, piece of nonfiction um so you know it, it's it's interesting to kind of see maybe a bit of an orosporus thing happening here you know yeah. of yeah, yeah. of nonfiction visual media informing the proceedings that are then being captured in this new feature documentary hmm. yeah i hadn't thought of that but that's cool moving on <laughs> uh, just kidding <laughs> Uh, in the New York Times, uh, Karen James um, has a line, uh, his camera simply settles in and eavesdrops. Central Park East is the perfect setting for a film that forces viewers to draw their own conclusions. Uh, and she points out the first name use of the teachers um, and their mix of outrage, idealism, and school solidarity offers a short, sharp portrait of smart adolescents. Uh, she says the conference with the 15-year-old uh, new mother and, and her mother, as well as the child's uh, 
brother, but I think she confuses that, um, is the most poignant scene and says that uh, the film is a study in social mobility, meaning these students will likely fare much better after high school than their parents did, which I thought was a interesting thought. Um, and she says some of it can be a bit boring, but it's mostly optimistic and absorbing. Yeah. The, I mean, the study and social mobility thing, I picked up on that too. That's up for debate, right? I don't, I don't know that we're capturing that necessarily. We're capturing the, the striving for social mobility, you know, what the outcomes are, you know, characteristic of Weissman, who, who can say, you know, um, we get the note, I think, what is it? 90% uh-huh. are graduating to four year, uh, schools, private schools. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we could, we could definitely call that success, but we don't know, f- uh, much necessarily about, you know, students, parents, uh, outcomes right. or lives, you know, Franz's father, for instance, seems to be, you know, some kind of professional, uh, perhaps certainly, um, and it's also interesting, we catch um, Paul talking on the phone once a bit of what's required for attendance. Like, like he's mm-hmm. talking about doing an orientation. He's like, when you come for your tour, for your visit, you ought to bring uh, report cards, standardized test scores, recommendations from teachers. Before they even get there. Uh, there needs to be some level of achievement that is exceptional, it seems like. Um, and who knows uh, what the kind of extracurricular resources required uh, to meet that level of achievement to even be considered to go to Central Park East are, right? Like, you know, so mm-hmm. so you might already be, even though we're situated in East Harlem, we might be dealing with just some sort of, uh, natural selection because of those requirements that that uh, creates a certain kind of student body that you know who who knows what the socioeconomic conditions sure. of a lot of these families might be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was an interesting comment, but I don't know if it's necessarily like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's conjecture for sure, um, but it's definitely provocative in the sense that it does make you think about um the social class of like when you get to see these uh conferences uh difference between franz's uh dad or like the the woman who is talking about spending 60 dollars on a catcher's mitt um like there are implications there we're not sure like you, you just don't know but um yeah or like cynthia talks about the the peer mediation scene right uh one of the kids uh you know his clothes are being held together with safety pins right you know, like and there's some conclusions we could probably draw from that yeah so but it, it it's it seems like seems like um yeah a, a class mix certainly as well as a racial mix uh mm-hmm. to the school but we find out in the first scene that class Matters more than race. <laughs> um, so our old friend Bob Kohler is back in the LA Times. Uh, he agrees with Barry Keith Grant's assessment that as Wiseman has got grown mm-hmm. older, his films have grown more hopeful. He says, his recent near-death Central Park and Zoo showed mostly good people doing good work. Yes, even in zoos. Uh, we, can, we can maybe pick at that if we wanted, but uh, I think it's funny how much Aspen doesn't fit here. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, Grant is, is saying it from the perspective of his 21st century work. Um, it's interesting that Bob was kind of like picking up on that um, this early, but he, he kind of complains about Wiseman's style and that we don't know what school or neighborhood we're in or, or some explicit facts about the school's uh, curriculum, but I don't really find that to be a problem myself. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think you'd agree. He talks about how Wiseman has found the endangered species, critical thinking, alive and well here in Harlem. Um, and interesting being the LA Times, uh, he doesn't mention anything about LA as having sort of this invisible presence throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really talk about anything. I, I felt <laughs> he's not talking about what the film's doing. He's talking about things he wishes it was doing, which is, you know, kind of a review pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, he, t- he tells on himself a little bit when he sort of goes into, you know, his expectations maybe of what this film would have depicted, you know, in terms of what an urban school looks like. And, you know, is, is this being true to that experience of that he's kind of just making up, you know, or, or certainly doesn't probably have firsthand experience with, you know, being a high schooler at that time. Um, so, um, but this is where I noted, I mean, as it relates to that, uh, another film came out this year that dealt with urban high schools, uh, (laughs) that we've, uh, discussed before, uh, called Hoop Dreams, uh, which certainly presents some contrasting high schools, both with this film and internally within that film. Um, and maybe an urban high school more akin to what is, uh, being discussed by Kohler here, but that, that would have come out in January at Sundance. Uh, who knows if he had the opportunity to see that, if that was coloring any critical engagement, uh, from anybody, nobody mentions it by name. Um, you know, and certainly it, uh, at this point probably did not have the stature that it does now. Um, but you know, uh, I, there, there are certainly ways in which these films are in conversations documenting high school education in, you know, American cities in 1992. Yeah, I want to get into the Hoop Dream stuff in a minute um, and just more generally, like, sort of where this film sits within genres, subgenres, and mm. um, that type of stuff. Um, but lastly, we have the independent... Um, Jennifer Rogers uh, article. This is a UK publication. Um, this review is from 1998. So I guess yeah. we're done with the contemporaneous I, I, stuff. It wasn't clear what the occasion for the review was. Yeah, this one is pretty awful. And each <laughs> each line is like, it's like the writer is finding a new nail to scratch the blackboard with. Um, not only does it, it get basic facts wrong, like saying the film is taking place <laughs> in the 80s, but it talks about Wiseman's method uh, using rudimentary facts, but spritzing them with opinions as if they're trying to sound smart to people who have never heard of Wiseman. Uh, it's just kind of like, no, it's barely worth mentioning. Yeah. And, uh, she talks about something in high school one that was just like, so insane to me, uh, (laughs) that, like she was implying that the issue it was documenting were that the students were like not engaging with thoughtfully constructed and presented home ec class, you know, <laughs> that we see in the film as if it's their fault for not 
being interested rather than it just being completely absurd you know yeah um so yeah yeah this this was not uh, not a keeper yeah don't don't go looking for it um okay so we have uh high school documentaries um that we can sure. kind of situate this with um we have homeroom which i think is what from mm. 2020 uh 21 i think maybe i i remember watching it uh, as part of the online sf film festival uh during one of the covid years so i, I think it was 20. i think we talked about that when we talked about high school um yeah and then there's also high school of course <laughs> um america to me steve james's america to me his 10 hour um film slash series that nobody watched because it's on stars but uh is absolutely fantastic and about a Chicago uh, high school and many different teachers and many different students that he kind of follows around throughout a uh, school year. Uh, stunning uh, piece of work. Um, and then also Steve James's Hoop Dreams, which you just mentioned, that came out in 1994 as well. Um, then there's obviously the whole subgenre of fictional high school movies like the John Hughes stuff and the teacher-based ones like Dangerous Minds or 187 or Substitute. But uh, was there anything you wanted to talk about in terms of fellow high school documentaries? Um, well, I think, you know, thinking about the films you just mentioned, you know, um, they certainly vary in approach and focus. You know, I think Homeroom is very student-focused, less so on, like, pedagogical issues on you know methodology of education things like that um you know i think america to me uh kind of contains everything you know but but hoop dreams certainly is uh concerned with institutional interactions within like the personal realm but is is certainly more so about the boys and their families i think than like education i guess even though you know, that it is a film that certainly contains everything also. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this film, the key concern, I think, is is pedagogy, right? How, how do we teach? How do we learn? Um, what are, how do we, uh, what this malleable thing, you know, the one of the cornerstones of the film is this like faculty curriculum meeting about um, AP courses and, you know, how do you, uh, separate or not separate, you know, teaching history and literature, you know, and all these things right. that, you know, it, it seems like a constant conversation, you know, that's always evolving, that they always have to respond to individual students, you know, and, and then we're, uh, seeing all of this in practice and being asked to evaluate its success, um, which it seems like pretty universally people feel is successful. Um, so I think that's unique in, in this area of like the, the educational documentary, mm-hmm. you know, is like, I, I can, at least for the high school level, I can point to another uh, cherished doc of mine, School Life, um, about an Irish boarding school that uh, has, you know, younger kids, um, but is a lot more about like approaches and small class sizes and just, you know, the lesson plans and things, uh, but it's also a really jubilant, uh, joyful film too. Um, but, you know, I think, I think 
maybe that's what's turning off a lot of reviewers too. Again, it's not the kind of circus of high school one. Um, it's something that, and maybe going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, documenting something that is functioning well may not be as like immediately engrossing as documenting, you know, something with, you know, where the wheels are about to fall off. For sure. Nobody's watching Hoop Dreams, like the one where they go into the NBA and just become like <laughs> end of the bench, like role <laughs> yeah. players, garbage time players. But, um, uh, it, it is funny to think about when, you know, we were talking about the, the pedagogy being the focus of high school too, to think about hoop dreams and you go, oh my God, that's such like this big, like sort of mammoth thing. It's three hours. So much happens. And you're like, oh, hi- high school two is longer and it feels yeah. so much smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's quite a bit, it's like 40 minutes longer. Um, but because it's so intimate and, and hoop dreams has such like this, like roller coaster arc and also is like a documentary about like urban life in the late eighties and early nineties and industry and, um, and family life. And just like it, it, like you said, it just has everything. And this is just so focused on teacher, student, uh, education, um, that, uh, there's something really special about, uh, Wiseman's ability to make something that is four hours and just feel intimate and small. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe part of that is that at least the, the small feeling and probably the intimate feeling is, is we never leave the school. Um, yeah. certainly not in the way we do in hoop dreams, you know, I, there, there's that one teacher training with the condom that seems to happen offsite with, and probably had, uh, educators from other schools there as well. Um, but that's it, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh Otherwise, we're we're back to the the cloistered kind of thing, and and uh, Barry noted, you know, this this does feel in some ways like a throwback to the early films, you know, uh, certainly because it's a sequel to High School, but also in the, uh, you know, this is like because of that, it's like one of these core institutions, you know, education, like capital E, right? Like in a way that you know the more recent films were were. Uh, a bit more like uh, specific in their like that the interests weren't so broad and so universal right like mm-hmm, necessarily mm-hmm. Um, but so you know what does that do for high school too you know like like I think it, it turns a lot of people off <laughs> as we just kind of discussed right like who who wants to spend four hours considering education is is this one that you know i i recall uh i don't remember which film exactly but a reviewer was like you know the the purpose for this is for you know graduate students interested in the topic and no one else you know like is this one of those films and i mean i think you and i would would not characterize it that way um but um you know i think i think it does have the effect of probably making it one of his more her his uh least considered least viewed um, mm-hmm. within his body of work uh, which is a shame yeah and people just don't like sequels uh, but, <laughs> uh, okay so th- we can also situate it within Wiseman's education films which are at Berkeley high school and deaf and blind mm-hmm. obviously education is a thing that runs throughout and you can consider other things uh, as education that aren't explicitly education but um, 
uh, you know, there are teacher scenes here and there, but I would say that these are the education films. Right, yeah. Uh, um, okay, so I think maybe we should start by just saying, you know, he's revisiting high school. I say start. We've been recording for <laughs> who knows how long, but kind of like get to the stuff that we're going to talk about that that we don't talk about with Cynthia um, by uh, kind of. I guess talking about it as the sequel, I guess, like, uh, which, you know, Barry Keith Grant, uh, in his wonderful new, uh, book, um, orients his section on this film as comparison to high school one and in, in which in a, in a very smart way, cause he's a very smart guy, but I think it's very fruitful and, and yields uh, a lot of what Wiseman is, is doing with this film. But, uh, we should say up top, um, that, uh, I think we said this with on the zoo episode, but there's a chestnut used in in a lot of the the writing. Um, although it, before it was something that that Wiseman kept saying, and here it's something that critics keep saying is that uh, uh, that this film shows how far education has come in 25 years. And as Wiseman said in, in an interview from uh, an Irish film journal, that it's really two different worlds. Um, it's, it's not a question of seeing where high school education was at 25 years later. It's looking at a new experience. Yeah. He, he says there was something, I don't know if it was that or Charlie Rose, but like, you know, there, he was not interested in just making the same film about a failing institution, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think too, the important thing though, is like, because of that, he's also saying, you know, this is not characteristic of like American education in 1992. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the, the underlying thing about all of this is like, this is an exceptional example. Like shouldn't, shouldn't they all be this way kind of sort of thing. And obviously time is a part of why C CPSS is doing what it's doing. You know, it's about how education research has developed over time mm -hmm. um, that made this possible. But when we watched high school one, we and others talked about how timeless a lot of those experiences are. And what's, what's more of a, a revealing factor here is the difference in approach uh, in the school as Wiseman also said, the school has an experimental curriculum. Uh, and it turns out uh, it's very well worth looking at, um, at least under uh, someone like Wiseman, uh, who's just interested in, in observing and sorting out what's going on rather than, you know, trying to push any sort of agenda, of course. Of course uh, but displaying uh, the five habits of mind. Yes. Uh, per perhaps a silly question, but um, is it true that sequels can be better than the original, Arlen? <laughs> Uh, have you ever heard of uh, The Godfather Part 2? Never got around to the second one. Yeah, um, I went straight one to three. <laughs> so in the Charlie Rose uh, interview, I think we talk about this a little bit with uh, Cynthia, maybe, maybe not. Um, but uh, he talks about, Wiseman calls the film an anti-cliche film. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a second to kind of figure out what he meant after I heard him say that. Um, but it makes a great deal of sense. But before I kind of go into what I think, what, did, did it conjure anything for you? Well, I think, isn't he talking about that in relationship to the, the father, uh, mm -hmm. student yeah. scene that we all love? Um, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I was just thinking about it within that context of, you know, there's, 
it's not the only scene we hear of of teenage parenthood uh in the film um but you know here's this kid who uh doesn't seem to be burdened by it in the cliche kind of way that you know like oh he he would have had to drop out you know work some low-paying job just to make ends meet you know he he's still here for his education um you know trying to graduate and you know eventually make a a better life for his family um uh, especially you know and i think in the light of maybe media some of the other uh, fictional high school films you were talking about and we talked to Cynthia about in terms of like how this these kinds of student populations are portrayed in those films of like they need to be rescued by you know mm-hmm. these brilliant educators or something right but, right you know here we see a group of kids to- totally uh, talking amongst themselves like very capable very thoughtful you know and 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 still uh, conversing in a way that's like you know very uh, youthful now, for that, yeah, I, yeah. I still can't believe I'm a parent no cause you're too young you're 18 but how you feel about it now like like how you feel about your baby and everything since at first you didn't want to keep in and on I love my kid and I'm, I'm proud that we you know we went through it and we had the baby Cause I, I don't know. It's hard to just think about not having the baby around. So that's basically it. That's the reason. I don't know, but the baby. It's like if you could have done something, something, you would have. But now that he's here, yo. Yeah, but a baby is a life, you know. So that's. Ain't like a dog. You just. I know. It ain't like. I don't know, it's weird having a kid and then being there to see her be born. That shit. You saw it? You were there? You saw it come out the mother's womb? Yo, that shit must have flipped you out, dude. You know, but but the content of what they're talking about uh, is is very substantive, you know, and and consequential and meaningful and like death is involved in life. And, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not the sort of conversations you see teens having in films about high school well and they're doing it as if they're just like talking about the movie they saw like yeah. last night you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. because this is life for them and yeah it's not like dramatic i i, I think that that's definitely a, a part of it like uh the subject matter is is anti-cliche um i think also in 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 another sense this is where Wiseman's length and patience are, are so important and, and singular. Um, and this is another good, com- good, good place to compare uh, with High School One. Um, you know, High School One is his shortest film up until this point. Uh, obviously, a couple is shorter and maybe uh, another uh, nonfiction. But, you know, it's 75 minutes. Um, and while it's quite good, it's, it's undeniably, I think one of his more didactic films, Mm -hmm. like, um, not, not on the level of Ticket Follies, but, um, I I think that's fair. Um, and high school two, on the other hand, has a number of scenes that, that last many minutes on end. And, and through that length, you're able to see these thorny conversations and how perspectives develop or are clashing. And, and I think what that means is that uh, these scenes are being used by Wiseman as a cudgel or as like ammunition towards a point he's building. Like it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing um, or, or not being used as, as a cudgel, obviously. Um, 
they're just sort of there to exist and like we've kind of been talking about um, and see how things like conversations are developing and, and how the more we're able to view people, uh, the more we're able to understand them. Like it's, it's very simple. But um, in, in Cynthia's uh, interview with, with uh, Wiseman and Sinius, she calls the length a, a revisionist attempt to offer greater context while staying true to the basic tenets of observational cinema. And I think the length of High School 2 and the fact that it, that it is a sequel makes for uh, a very tidy point and, and maybe a beginning point to seeing a gradual ramp into the period that he's making films in now, this sort of like more hopeful period, if we want to call it that, which I don't know if we do, but um, uh, where, where he's just seeing more complexity and he's like, you know, put to put words in his mouth, you know, I, I made a six hour movie. I can kind of like, like I can kind of do what I want and um, not to say that he's abusing whatever that means for him as an artist, but uh, that, it maybe like opened up this this door to and deaf and blind was you know nine hours like to 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 kind of understanding the medium uh in a way that really no one else was was doing and nobody else really does do i mean outside of uh america maybe um but yeah. uh but yeah i i think that's also where this this idea of anti-cliche plays into it which is like when you're kind of freeing yourself from from these structure beats um of um uh, of normal cinema um it allows you to kind of break into a uh, new mode yeah i think one of the reviewers invoked you know tv miniseries or novel uh as mm-hmm. related to the approach here but as a uh, but it's not a novel you know it's not like a novel you know it's just like there is no you know in, in one sense yeah. like it's not it's not moving somewhere uh it's it's just sort of like i I don't know like again it just feels so intimate in a way like there aren't these like arcs there aren't character arcs really Mm -hmm. um which is a staple of novels obviously yeah but i i I don't like just maybe using a different metaphor I, i there's something maybe akin to theater about this film in terms of certainly it's not narrative but i could see these uh each episode is as a scene you know and moving through uh a kind of space and maybe this is a bit of an apropos conversation given the the welfare musical uh opened recently um but like like the care the accumulation of characters uh whose experience make up high school too you know the the film or the play called high school too you know and i think he 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 talks about um as it relates to length he said he suggests the films are getting longer because he sees more complexity now and Mm -hmm. he you know is trying to present the complexity he sees but so i think that when we talk about the early films being didactic or the this period starting to get more hopeful I think maybe a better way to think about it is they're more they're more complex and uh, they account for the hope that might be present in a way um, that the early films maybe didn't uh, not necessarily because he had an axe to grind um, but because <laughs> he didn't he didn't see 
those shades of gray so much back then but through the process of making all these films you know it you can imagine it just becomes undeniable that you know things aren't so black and white and there's complexity to all of these proceedings and part of complexity is is the good along with uh Mm -hmm. what's easy to criticize for sure yeah a good example of all of that is is i I think uh deaf and blind you know um which we talked yeah. at length about like um, you get to see a lot of good and a lot of uh, things that that you could say are quite negative. For sure. Yeah, uh, I did want to mention that uh, there's a great shirt, Jordan shirt in the first first scene. It's really good style just throughout. Oh yeah, you know yeah. It, it's the era for sure. I know we talked about that a bit with Aspen, but I, I was the shot um during the king lear scene of these three girls in a row Mm -hmm. you know they just are all so perfectly like 92 looking yeah (laughs) um it was just uh, nice nice to see them lined up like that yeah it's quite a pleasure especially for us who kind of like were in school uh you know had you know maybe starter jackets or those types of for sure starter jackets yeah different sweatshirts that were popular for whatever reasons, but, um, and a lot of champion wear, which uh, is cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you want to, you want to kind of get into the self-reflexivity? Uh, sure. Sounds good. Uh, so I think, although we talk about this with, with Cynthia, I think it's worth noting up front um, to start this conversation, the, the five habits of mind yes. um, that, that Paul mentions One of the ways that we've thought about the school is that if kids have developed five habits of mind, um, and we're going to suggest a sixth very soon, if they've developed five habits of mind, five ways of thinking about things, they they should be able to graduate from here because if they can do these things, think of perspective, from whose perspective is something being presented? Like when you read history, it's always from someone's perspective. Uh, What's your evidence? How do you show your evidence for some things that you're presenting? If you're going to present your point of view about something, that's fine, but show me your evidence. Where did you get those ideas from? How is the thing that's being presented connected to other things? What if things were different? It's a supposition. And who cares? I mean, why does it matter? Why are we looking at this anyway? If people can think in those three ways, in those five ways, uh, we think that they'll be in pretty good shape um, to be able to... Uh, um, graduate the idea being these are the these are the habits that the students should be uh going through mentally when encountering anything um you know obviously in school specifically um trying to understand why they're studying something they should be coming to all of these questions um and it's funny because he talks about people who have given him good feedback on this method and and the first is a lawyer um and who, who said this is this is what he learned in law school. Um, and it's funny because we all know Wiseman was a lawyer um, first be, before becoming a filmmaker. Um, but obviously this doubles as how you can read a, a Wiseman film ultimately for this conversation. Well, and, and how Wiseman builds a film also. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, both, both sides of the screen. Um, but Yeah, not how you should, not how you could read a Wiseman film, but like how you should be reading a Wiseman film as well. And... And it's it's just really satisfying. Well, first, this comes pretty early on. We only yeah. had a few scenes before it, but it, it puts the bug in your head, right? To, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. This is, 
you know, not only how you should evaluate everything, but it's how you should evaluate the success of Central Park East, you know, and you see it time and time again in all of these scenes of instruction. That's like, you know, I think about the Columbus essay, you know, like that's in so many words what that teacher is trying to get the student to think through, right? Talking about like... So that, you know, that would go, you know, you, you're ambivalent about whether he's a Renaissance man or not. And, that, and certainly you should use that. In my opinion, I don't think he was, but there's... Right. You said like okay. European... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. That was the question that you asked. So. The question I asked was, was he a Renaissance man? Did he character? Did he represent the spirit of the Renaissance? In did Europe. he have some of the characteristics? Yes, in Europe. In Europe, I believe he did. Right here and now, I don't think so. That's why it's hard for me to like write the paper and like with one point of view. Well, I, I think could write in Europe. I believe that he would have been considered a Renaissance man. He was considered a hero at that time. Right. I don't think he was a hero. Okay. You know, it's if if that's what the goal is to make them consider these five things, then yeah, you know, throughout the film, we're seeing them achieve that goal. I think. For sure. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, I really like that it does come quite early and kind of is yeah. like begging you to 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 do this. Um, uh, like, I, there's the King Lear scene comes fairly early, I think, um, mm. and you know, uh, it's just a classroom discussing Shakespeare and King Lear, and it, it opens in a way that's worth noting. The teacher is asking, "Why do we bother reading fiction?" Uh, and this is just like such a Wiseman signature, in part because he's so interested in. Um, in the discussion of literature, like we recently saw in Aspen. Um, but also because it can be extrapolated to, to his work, asking us, why do we bother with Wiseman's work? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a student is immediately uh, responding, saying that uh, fiction can have bearing on real life, um, which is a great answer. Um, and I think uh, Wiseman's primary pur- purpose with this film, with these, with all of his films may be to create something with a, poetic bearing on viewers real life his own life yeah uh just notice real life breaking through on your end as it does uh in a few scenes in this film a little bit uh the sirens going in the background (laughs) absolutely but yeah so this uh the king lear scene you know it's it's um she says i think like the concluding line of the scene uh is but if you come back to what um, a day said earlier on about it being like real life. Is real life confusing? Yes. Yes. It well, is. that's you, you know. I think we have to keep that in mind because really we don't have very simple lines lives where we sort of have one thing happening just so and another thing happening so we can all get it really very nice and straight. We um, we have complicated lives. <laughs> and like you know, what better description? <laughs> for Weissman's films, right? Then, then yeah, for sure. that. And like, you know, if, if these films are to be true documentaries, you know, and like present something real that's happening, then they should carry all the same complexity and intersections and, you know, collisions uh, that they so frequently do uh, that typifies, you know, our, our daily experiences. Yeah, this scene and, and another one I want to talk about, but many of them throughout high school too is like a great example of what we talked about a long time ago of like nothing survives the edit without multiple reasons for existing. Mm-hmm. And um, the film is so, 
I hate using that word dense all the time, but I mean, it really is just like so complex in a way that like you can really dig into what's happening like in many of these scenes and why, why he's showing us this. Mamber talks a lot about repetition um, and the importance that he found in, in, in showing us sort of something over and over and over again. Um, not to say that I find the film repetitive, mm-hmm. but uh, you are getting certain uh, instances of, of education and, um, and it, they all have sort of different um, resonances because of the way that they talk or what they're talking about, like fiction here. But um, yeah, one of, one of, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, you know, the repetition thing, like I think hey, I was, I was kind of, taken aback that so many people seem to say that because i don't that wasn't really my feeling uh much um certainly we see scenes of education but it's usually different classes and different topics and certainly there's different interactions with parents and like disciplinary things and you know uh you could say like the killis and the frond scene could be a repetition but what do we get from the accumulation of these scenes is more expressions of the institution successfully implementing its values and catering you know we we see the specificity of each one of those students you know problems right or the parents problems right and we see the teachers approach yeah and we see how the administrators and the teachers are addressing those specific things right it's not the one size fits all uh northeast discipline you know or administration right uh who just have a line and they apply the line and the students either meet the line or they don't you know uh through seeing these similar non-repetitive kinds of scenes we can draw more about uh you know yeah the the success so yeah and you're you're getting a better understanding of the student body by by seeing more students i mean it's just kind of like um it just keeps layering and layering and layering, uh, which you've seen. But one of my favorites uh, of the classroom education scenes, I think it's like a physics class or something. I couldn't tell exactly, but they're they're talking about how something changes over time and and like thickens or something. I, I don't mm-hmm. remember, but the teacher is really challenging the student about how she has to come to her own conclusions, <clears throat> and. She says, okay, I want some evidence here to back this up, okay? I want some, some reasons, some evidence. So go through some of the materials and see if you can come up with some more details about exactly how it's changing with time. And it might mean making some assumptions and some approximations. That's good. Just make sure that you know when you're making assumptions, you know when you're making approximations, and that you can kind of get a sense of are they good, are they bad? You know, how good are they? You know, but you know, it doesn't have to be exact. You don't really have enough information to be exact, but you know, using what you've got, be reasonable. Okay. And then eventually says, I want more information about what's going on here. And Davy gets in real tight on the paperwork over the shoulder. It's great. Um, and also this scene starts with the, with the student Carlos that we later see in the mentor mediation, mm-hmm. but you don't, you, 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 wouldn't know that unless you're watching it multiple times. But um, but anyway, but this scene, while on one hand, we're seeing another instance of how education works in the school, like you're talking about primarily in small groups with a lot of one-on-one time with teacher, um, as well as how teachers are teaching how to think for yourself and think critically. So 
like I'm like I'm saying, everything survives the edit with multi, more than one thing. So on the other hand, it's doubling as this self-reflexive conversation between the viewer and Wiseman and this tension between the information he's giving us, which is not exact, and how we're using that information, which for some viewers often includes a frustration, you know, or a desire for more information. Um, or for some, uh, it's trying to think about what Wiseman is saying here in a poetic sense uh, with information that is not exact. Yeah, and it yeah, it's it's like getting into the how uh knowledge is achieved through structure, right? Like yeah, yeah. you know, like like this graph doesn't tell me a whole lot if you, you know, change the form of it this way or this way, you'll know a lot more, right? <laughs> and like how, mm-hmm. how important is that um another scene that I thought had like kind of just like a, a nice self-reflexive quality was uh, it was like a literature or a language arts class or something. And uh-huh. they're writing essays and the teacher says, so you want to make an opening s- sentence that discusses the point of what you're going to talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just thinking back to that great opening scene here and how it kind of sets the stage for the whole film. Um, right. <laughs> you know, like, but, but how, yeah, how, how through these five habits and the work of the school is what's really conveyed is how important f- framings and structure are to content and understanding and knowledge, you know, and, yeah. and that's something that's kind of always being driven home here. And I think is, is an answer to a lot of the critics we were just discussing who were like, pretty down on on the film um but like you know it 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 is as long it is as it is and it has the scenes that it does uh so that it can you know convey the conclusions that uh, you know hopefully folks are coming to that that we're discussing here i wish i would have thought about where while you were talking about structure i wish i would have looked at where that scene where the 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 teacher is talking about like the ball being thrown and when it's at its yeah, apex yeah. is it in the middle. I should have looked to see if that's in the middle or no, because <laughs> no, I wouldn't funny. be surprised. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, like a parabola kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's another thing where it's just like constantly reminding you of structure yeah. and a beginning and an end. But yeah. And I, th- I think too, I just want to say about the repetition or not, or just, you know, the large volume of scenes here. Another thing going back to kind of my initial um, I think there was there was a whiplash from the previous three films that are like very kooky, I guess, kind of you know there the the absurdity is is heightened in a way that you know really resonates for me for sure. Um, but we've talked about this kind of carousel idea mm-hmm. of of like you know just encompassing all of the activities of the institution being filmed and uh the kind of joy and pleasure of just like whipping around from one thing to another. And, you know, the first viewing I I was missing that because it's like, you know, I'm just in the school and we're just doing school stuff. But if (laughs) that was, you know, a really limited engagement way uh, for me, yeah, I'm an idiot. I hate myself, (laughs) but (laughs) um, you know, 
I I was able to get into that mode and get that pleasure back this this last viewing because I think the variety of you know school subjects being discussed, the variety of problems with students or the school being discussed, you know, it it's just so wide ranging and satisfying yeah. and like uh, comprehensive, you know. And I think it's something yeah. we'll see again and at Berkeley certainly, you know. Yeah. Um, there's there's yeah. such there's such beauty in some of the competence, like just on a very raw level. I, I talk, I mentioned the Christopher Columbus paper scene with Cynthia, but that is just like something that like, I just keep thinking about is just this, this beautiful um, scene about teaching someone how to make an argument and how to like, sort of like grow, like become more mature in the way that they think critically and how to get to your argument. Mm -hmm. But but just sort of like branching your thoughts out, you know, this five habits of mind to just like, just better navigate the world. Um, and seeing like that happen in such a competent way is really great. I, it, I love it. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it is. I had to check myself again where I was like, is it, is it as engaging cinematically to watch competence play out <laughs> you know um and it's like you should be grateful you should be grateful that this has been documented and we can see success and how it's being achieved within this setting you know in a way that's like so rare like uh, yeah. I, I think it's hard to emphasize like how rare that is to see yeah. in a documentary you know yeah it's not trying to like I, I think that's where the lack of profiling that is Wiseman's MO really is great. Like it's not trying to be like, and this is what's going on with this kid's life. And it's, this is why he's acting this way. And, you know, everything is sort of used as uh, this sort of like ammunition for mm. uh, this arc. And here it's just like none of that. Um, I, I, I wanted to say one of the things that um, I noticed also in terms of like the grad, the sort of like, the, I don't want to say maturing of his method, but sort of uh, ways that I think he's sort of like learning structure better is just like uh, how the pillow shots, the lily pad shots are just like conveying a lot of information. Mm -hmm. um, like uh, he's showing a phone call, trying to track down a missing student. Sometimes like a student being reprimanded, a woman eating a lollipop while reading the Iliad. Um, as well as just basic hallway shots with with nothing happening, but how he's using some of these shots uh, as a way to show more information is just like thinking about how these short scenes in high school one, like these short scenes were the movie, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just like short scene, short scene, short scene, and we, we that's why I struggle with that movie as like a, you know it's such a treasure of of uh, CV filmmaking and. And there's a, a lot to say about that movie that, that is great, but I struggle to like get into it because it's so short. And mm -hmm. like, this is the complexity that we see in high school too, is just like the stuff that I really mm -hmm. uh, love about him. Yeah. I, I think that's really well said. Um, just because you brought up some of these shorter uh, pillow scenes, like um, I, I had a question for you about one that comes like damn near close to the end. Hey. Well, let me put it like this. There was, the land was empty. The land was empty. And the only way the land could be filled is that people came here. So people migrated. And then that's it. 
<laughs> I think it comes right before Debbie's concluding scene. Right. And yeah. it was after a scene uh with with Paul um talking, but like I it it seems it was so abrupt, it was so brief, but it seems so pointed and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Did do you remember that yeah, or have no. any read with it? I, yeah. I know what you're talking about, but no, I mean also the product of it being uh, almost four hours is that yeah, like, by the end, yeah. you know, like okay, <laughs> yeah, but, I yeah. I don't know. I mean, just because uh, because also there's the great debate scene about immigration yeah, yeah. earlier, That's right? Great. And and thinking I, I was trying to maybe draw some resonances between it, but may, maybe our viewers have, or listeners rather have some ideas. I don't know. Well, they can email us at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com. Um, can I get into the trivia question? Don't, you don't need my permission. All right. Okay, so in order to receive a book uh, by Barry Keith Grant called Voyages of Discovery Restored and something. Um, expanded. Expanded. Uh, please be the first to email us. Um and you got to be quick because these are going much quicker than I expected. For sure. Uh, um, I don't know why I'm telling you this now, because <laughs> but uh, for the next one, I guess. Um, okay, so please email us. Be the first to email us, telling us uh, who is the celebrity cited uh, with the quote "fire in the belly." That's a good one. Wisemanpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. And we we've, we've got uh one more of those coming up next for ballet and then Yes. On the ballet episode we will be giving away the fourth book. That will be the last one. Um and we talked uh quite a bit with Cynthia and like I said, uh it's a great conversation. She adds quite a bit. Yeah, really, really grateful uh for her time and, and insights on this film. Um, you know, she goes deep. Well, enjoy the chat with Cynthia Lucia. Thank you. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with our guest, Cynthia Lucia. Uh, Cynthia is the uh, professor of media arts at Ryder University and is also a member of the American Studies, Gender and Sexuality Studies, and Law and Justice faculties. Um, 
Cynthia has served on the editorial board for Cineast magazine for some time and contributed to many other pubs, including Film Quarterly and Screen. Um, Thanks for joining us, Cynthia. Thank you. Uh, It's really a pleasure to be here. I have to tell you how much I admire your work. Um, (laughs) I've been listening to as many as the podcasts as possible. Of course, I haven't done a complete, uh, you know, complete (laughs) oeuvre, but, um, but, you know, it it really is fascinating. And I think Fred Wiseman is a national treasure, as some people have said, as a filmmaker. Uh, And you guys are really providing the kind of knowledge and background and homage that you know that he actually deserves so I really really appreciate what you guys are doing uh, well so much. yeah yeah uh, that's very <laughs> flattering um, thank you for your work on on Cineus magazine I, I've been a longtime subscriber wonderful oh, magazine um, Good. and uh, one of the reasons we invited you on as as we'll get to eventually but it is a, a, a wonderful interview you did um, mm-hmm. with a uh, Fred Wiseman um, about high school too, but um, so what? What? How did you get into to Fred Wiseman? Well, like I guess a lot of people, I was uh, in the graduate cinema studies program at NYU, and um, I took a course in documentary filmmaking with Paul Arthur, um, whose whose name may be familiar to you. He wrote quite a few um, incisive pieces about documentary. Unfortunately, he passed away at a much younger age than you know than he should have, um, but he. Uh, uh, introduced the class to Wiseman through Titicut Follies. Um, and that was at a time when the film was not readily available. It had He had to, you know, gain certain uh, permission in order to show it. He was able to do that because, of course, it was a film class. Um, and, of course, I mean, how can anybody um, do anything but become immediately immersed and immediately fascinated with the, with the film? maker, um, you know, once seeing that film. And I mean, it's a very uncomfortable film. And Paul himself is not necessarily, uh, was not necessarily a professor who embraced um, direct cinema or embraced Wiseman. Um, he, he did have his own criticisms, set of criticisms, excuse me, um, around the, the absence of context. And I do remember in discussing Titicut Follies in class, he pointed out that perhaps, you know, it's unfair to some of the staff there because we never really learn that the psychiatrist is only there one day a week. <laughs> so, you know, the ineptitude that seems to, you know, surround his work with the, with the inmates in part is... Um, due to, as as Paul pointed out, kind of institutional limitations. Um, and, you know, while I am not as critical as Paul is, because I do think that we, um, in most Wiseman films, are kind of able to suss out certain elements. And again, Fred is constantly um, kind of emphasizing the importance of ambiguity, the importance of multiple interpretations and multiple layers within his work. So I I really do um, not take such a, you know, kind of negative view. 
and I, I, I don't think Paul's view was entirely negative, but, but I will say that, you know, his introduction to Wiseman was an interesting one because it was measured. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of been important. I think with all of Fred's films, I mean, they're, they're, just wonderful and immersive. But I do think that there is always a certain point where we might take a little bit of, um, of, of distance. Um, one of the things that interests me about his work, and I'm, I'm sure it's been written about, I haven't really come across it that much, but I know when you guys were interviewing him, I don't know whether it was you or Arlen who brought up the idea of prurient interest. And I think it was in relationship to primate if i'm not mistaken is that does that ring a bell um, I, I think we may have talked about that as far as titty cut follies just how it has kind of this mondo cult life outside of you know yeah. engagement with his wider body of work yeah yeah that's interesting um and you know I'm, i always wonder about direct cinema to some extent and you know i'm a cat lover i've got my cat who sits at the window and is immersed with everything that is going on out there and you know to what extent are we the cats at the window um you know just sort of um you know observing but observing from a kind of safe voyeuristic distance um and uh, That question comes up for me. I don't necessarily have an answer. I will say that something like the Maisel's Grey Gardens, to me, is very exploitative, even though um, even though the, the mother and daughter, um, you know, the e- Edith um, seemed to fully participate. Um, it always brings to mind the question that Brian Winston raises about duty of care. How much duty of care must a documentary documentarian extend to his or her subjects? And in the case of the Beals, I mean, I, I wonder if they really did understand understand fully the implications of their performance before the camera. Um, I I don't sense that as much at all with um, Wiseman's films, Um, maybe because of subject matter, he really isn't moving into private lives in the same way that um, the Maisels did. Um, He is looking at something that is supposedly on display for all of us to see if if we care to look. Um, So uh, at the same time, there are certain moments, um, as as you pointed out, um, in in some of the films that you know, and, and you could almost maybe argue against t- take everything I'm saying and, and say the opposite. That the fact that there is a level of discomfort, terrible discomfort, when we're watching To the Cup Follies or Primate, I find that a very very hard film to watch <laughs> for the reasons that you guys talked about. Um, and even though, yeah, it's funny. And but but you know just that for me you know the, the just the horror of watching yeah. these poor yeah. you know these poor primates uh, subjected to the human um, experimentation is just too much. But um, but you could say that you know what Fred does is he takes the whole idea of you know voyeuristic engagement and um, you know kind of turns it on its head through the level of discomfort through the level of real ambiguity. Um, 
because we don't have any comfort in fully mm-hmm. knowing what's going on. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of arguing with myself here and, and kind of talking, you know, thinking out loud because I'm mm-hmm. constantly moving back and forth. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you, you talk briefly or like raise a question in the beginning of your Sinius piece, um, I think in reference to Titi Cup Follies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one, it's really interesting in, in that film because there, there are like, uh, these these inmates who are making uh, like visual address to us and and sort of like confronting viewers in, in a certain way or confronting the the, the filmmakers um, in a certain sense but but yeah I mean like um, well one it's it's interesting to be to be a, an animal lover and watch Frederick Wiseman's movie it's a very <laughs> thorny experience throughout but um, but. It, it's so uh, dependent on the subject, and like you said, you know, we're we're going into institutions, and there's there's a question of like access that he um, is privileging us to, and also, um, uh, you, you know, going into Yerkes, for example, is like maybe a place where they don't expect to be surveilled, and so there's also like uh, something to be said about that, but. Um, but you know, it's it's uncomfortable in some ways to watch something like domestic violence where you're in a shelter mm-hmm. and and questioning sure. questioning what this can do mm-hmm. for them or like, you know, what 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 kind of rigor he had to take for, for that access. Um, and also what it affords us as viewers to process mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. as much as it's different in something like like a, a film like Meat is like a totally different um uh, question, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, in high school too, you know, we have high school students and they're very cognizant and smart and, uh, seemingly like very willful, but, um, and then I think probably the richest, uh, way to, uh, or, or sort of the, the richest text around this question is the deaf and blind series that he made it in Talladega because, um, we talked a lot about it on there, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to repeat ourselves. But um, the way that they are making films about some uh, some people that can't even see them there, and mm-hmm. the ways that they're amplifying uh, these students' um, existence in ways is is beautiful in ways that it could mm-hmm. be ex- exploitative um, without proper care and mm-hmm. interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I think also it comes down to like the beholder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are we looking for in these films, and to what extent, you know, uh, you know, what is our position? Each individual watching it. So I think that's that's a large right. part of it. I mean, I think for me, um, uh, you know, when I'm looking at a film like High School or High School Two, um, as opposed to primate or meat, I guess I, my sense is that these subjects can articulate something. There mm-hmm. is some level of, of power to articulate. Um, and, and, um, so, so there's that. And of course that's a very simplistic point. I mean, you know, that's, that's nothing, nothing new, but, um, in any event, um, you know, I do think that, um, you know, what, what, 
Fred Wiseman has done is to provide us with an incredible, you've used the word tapestry, and I've used that word myself, um, you know, into, you know, into uh, just these incredible insights and observations about so many aspects, not just of American life, but of human existence. Um, and, you know, a couple of things that has struck me um, at the time when High School 2 was made, I was teaching high school. I was teaching in a suburban school, um, New, New York suburban Westchester school. One of the schools that in high school too, they refer to as oh, wow. a pri- privileged suburban school. They yeah. don't name the school specifically, oh, oh, yeah, but uh, where I taught was in Chappaqua, New York. And um, I taught there for 23 years, taught English wow. there and was still finishing my doctorate at NYU. I was a very untraditional student doing a course at a time. I'm slowly but surely getting through it. Um, But at the same time, um, we as faculty members went to visit other high schools to get a sense of what other schools were doing. And one of the schools I visited was Central Park East a few years before Fred went in to do do the movie. And, um, you know, so the whole theater sizer coalition of essential schools idea was something that I found fascinating. Fascinating, and I do believe the film and and Frederick Wiseman, based on my conversations with him, found it equally fascinating that there is some sense that these students are being listened to, um, the faculty members are attempting to meet them, you know, where they are. There are moments, though, where that breaks down to where authority, you know, where the authority of the faculty um, does, you know, sneak in there, has to at some point, at, at certain points. But, you know, that was interesting to me, um, you know, to, to sort of see the way he represented it in the film. And I think he really does give it a very fair uh, representation. And in fact, the day that I interviewed him, it was at the school. And that evening, it was a Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember now. And that evening was going to be the evening when he showed the film for the first time to the school community. So he wasn't yet aware of how they were going to respond respond and thankfully it seems that they responded very positively as as opposed to and so did the people at northeast high school right it was only when they heard criticism later um but i think in this case and and i you know you guys have done such great research in putting your whole series together i mean i haven't found many reviews on high school too um i found the stuart Klawan's review in the nation and a couple of other short reviews, and you may be aware of others that I'm not, but um, I was doing a search and really found so little. Um, and I'm wondering, in your in your research, which is so thorough, have you you know encountered any kind of critical assessments of that film, or does it tend to more toward the positive in general? We found um, probably about, let's see, seven okay. of like eight or nine. I, I know we missed at least a couple that are just like really hard to, to yeah, find, yeah. but mm-hmm. we, we found mm-hmm. referenced. Um, I take it you don't read Variety. Uh, so you know something. <laughs> I, you know, I saw a little blurby review on Variety, but I didn't see a, a detailed. Is there an in-depth review? No, no. no. I mean, they're no. they're just always 
kind of pretty off the mark. Uh, yeah, so yeah, just yeah. Thinking, yeah. thinking out in terms of who is taking exception to the film. I mean, and it's not really with them, at least, ever so much about uh, objecting to the content so much as it being very long and, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, as a film critic who doesn't yeah. want to sit there for, like, three hours, um, you know, I mean, there is that sort of, you know, selfish thing that comes into sure. play. I'm sorry, when you're a film critic, it's like, can't they all be 90 minutes? But, um, but of course, with a documentary and with the kind of, you know, the kind of thing that, that Frederick Wiseman is doing, um, you know, it's almost impossible. And, um, uh, and so I admire the fact, and I admire PBS for, um, you know, being so generous with him in not saying, well, sorry, it's six hours. It has to be, you know, 90 minutes. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. There's a, a village voice review by Beth Coleman. Um, that was, um, kind of, uh, it was, she, she didn't seem to be a fan. She said something about like how 90210 catches the noise of youth culture better than Wiseman's film mm-hmm. does and that he ignores a uh, social structure is not what it used to be. Um, but we'll, we'll go more in depth on those. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, Bob, uh, yeah, Bob Kohler from LA Times wrote a pretty positive one as well. Mm-hmm. Although it's mm-hmm. interesting how big of a, uh, how big of a part of this film Los Angeles is, but, wasn't talked about but in, not in the LA times yeah. yeah 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 and and you know as uh Stuart points out when the film was being shot as we all know that was when the Rodney King um uh trial. you know yeah. trial of the police officers was taking place but then when the film was shown it was 1994 summer of 1994 when oj <laughs> simpson had yeah. his slow chase through la and you know i think stewart in his review um makes the point that the american audiences were riveted to essentially an observational film for those yeah. many yeah, many right. hours right. of that chase where nothing really happens and you know and and I think it's interesting the point that he makes and maybe it does come back to this notion of to what extent are we engaged in voyeurism to what extent are we not um I think there you could say nothing was happening but everybody was waiting right for the the money shot you know in Mm -hmm. you know metaphorically speaking and um you know so again to me there's something very crass in that engagement with that particular footage um as opposed to i think you know i I really do think that that in in frederick wiseman's films there really is a sincere desire to learn about the way things work and how they work and why they are you know working as as they are as he as he often says yeah um the the OJ uh, bit really resonated with me, having just made a film um, about the the Balloon Boy incident um, in Colorado, which is mm. largely the same in that they're they're filming nothing. They're filming a balloon floating in the sky in much the same way the Bronco is going down the mm. highway. But the mm-hmm. the inherent drama was happening, you know, in the mind of the viewer and the context of what was supposed to be going on there. Similarly, kind of waiting for. A money shot, but you think about this issue you were talking about earlier about con- context and contextualizing things, and I think it it's a criticism. I think that's often levied by um, 
documentary folk who have a bit more faith in like the social utility of the medium mm-hmm. and i think you know weissman is, has been on record pretty regularly saying you know he's he's uh he's a bit doubtful about you know the 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 capacity for like social change brought about by films uh, and and sees his work as more mm-hmm. akin to, to movies it's it's art mm-hmm. for him mm-hmm. um, but i think about you know something like you were talking about with primate where i think context could be used to enhance voyeurism to some degree where um it offers it would offer an opportunity for the researchers at Yerkes to explain away some of the horrors that we're plainly mm. seeing you know and oh, sure. and i think uh, mask you know the the literal facts of of what they're doing you know and and uh, com- uh imbue what they're doing with with the ideology that they have but may not be relevant uh, to somebody who's seeing this, you know, and and uh, just for the horror that it is, or at least right? like yeah. strip away the visceral like reaction to 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 seeing that footage. Exactly. Yeah. So so I think I think there's there's I guess conversely like a social utility somewhat in in limiting that degree of context in in trying to present things plainly for what they are. Uh, rather than within, you know, the the context of the institution. And I think something that's really interesting in high school, too, I mean, obviously, as like Weissman uh, viewers, we we have the context of high school to compare it to. But as Fred's noted, you know, this is one of the most universal institutions that he has covered. So we Mm -hmm. also have our own personal experiences of high school Mm -hmm. that we're bringing Mm -hmm. to this film Mm -hmm. that's imbuing it with this uh, inherent context that that something like primate just doesn't have because we've never been in a primate research Mm -hmm. center, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think think that um, gives this film, like, so much... There's such an interesting dynamic here in in those dialectics between the previous film, between our real experiences, mm-hmm. between like what we've read in the news about you know urban high schools and stuff, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like some reviewers are sort of uh, implying. Um, but you know, like you know, just getting into it, like the opening scene in this film, right? Like of of the student sort of articulating <laughs> this class consciousness coming off of high school, if someone had just seen that one, and, and I noted uh, this film premiered in New York as a pairing with high school at, at Film mm-hmm. Forum mm-hmm. Uh, publicly. Um, but you're, you're like flabbergasted, right? You're like, mm-hmm. this is a student in an American public school, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's not... And it's from both the previous film and our experience, but like, like you just, it sets a t- such a tone. I think that is is so miraculously carried through the mm-hmm. entire film mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. we see. Um, but like that, that even with the lack of like quote unquote context that Weissman gives us, we have all these other contributing factors to our engagement that that just kind of set us on such a course here. Yeah, yeah, I totally, um, yes, very much agree with that. There are a couple of things um, that what you just said spark 
interest for me. Just going back to Primate for a moment, even though it's not our subject. Um, I think in that film also we have a very reflexive um, quality, if you want to use that term, that film studies term, in that we there are so many layers of observation going on, so many layers. <laughs> you know the the you know the researchers observing the primates, um, the camera observing the researchers, our observing the researchers through the lens of the camera. So, you know, there is so much on a kind of academic level that, that, that is interesting to discuss there. But I do, getting back to high school and high school too, I just showed high school um, in my documentary class oh, cool. this, this past spring. And I was surprised. I haven't shown it in a while. I haven't taught documentary in a few years, more than a few years. And I was really surprised that many of my students said that this was very similar to their own high school experiences. I mean, these are sophomores in college, juniors in college, they're undergraduates, but I was really surprised at that because I really assumed that their experiences would be more akin to what we see in in high school too and that the high school where i taught in westchester was very much more like high school too um you know in the sense that these are both public schools um high school too i mean the central park east um is a problematic it's in a problematic setting there are so many so many issues that students and faculty are dealing with which many of the students in Chappaqua are completely insulated from right they they're completely they're sort of like the kids from Michigan who got dropped <laughs> into the high school to perform Amazing. Yeah. Um, you know but um, but 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 it is it is fascinating to me that they that the faculty were very consistent in high school too, that they really are on the same page in terms of what they believe as the, um, you know, the five habits of mind. And, you know, and this is all stuff that comes from Theodore Sizer and his philosophy of education, but it is, you know, um, precisely, (laughs) you know, it's consistent and it's humane and it really is um, attempting to empower students. And, And so, you know, I think one of the other, I mean, the, the young boy at the beginning, young man at the beginning who talks about the fact that social class conflict hides under racism. And that is a quote from him is quite interesting, right? Um, You know, quite just, you know, he's articulate, he's insightful, he is really, you know, sort of um, thinking about you know, so many different issues here, including his own position, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But the the whole social class, um, you know, uh, social class disparity is something that I think the students are really very, um, very attuned to. What's kind of interesting, though, we talk about how Wiseman does these interesting juxtapositions in editing, uh, you know, right after we hear him speak, we hear the um, the, the female student um, talk about her internship on Wall Street with <laughs> Lehman Brothers. When, like when I tell people that I work at Lehman Brothers, it's like Lehman Brothers. So I'm, I kind of, it kind of um, pushed me to really like 
get a, a stable position in the firm. Therefore, you know, because like when I want to go to college or if I want to go and work at another firm or something, when they look at my resume, they can say Lehman Brothers and they can call and I won't have like a bad report on myself. They'll be like, you know, she's a wonderful worker and, you know, she really goes and when you need to tell her what to do, she just jumps and does it by herself. So, I don't know. I've, I think that I've grown a lot um, mentally and physically within the firm. And, 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 you know, and, and she does seem to say, you know, she says, when she says, this is kind of funny, she says, um, I've grown a lot mentally and physically while being there. I was like, oh, what was your physical growth when you were at Lehman Brothers? But, but, you know, I thought that was a cute, you know, again, you know, teenagers, you know, they, they just, um, you know, but, but I thought it was, it was very interesting. And then we moved from her feeling empowered by this experience on Wall Wall Street um, yeah. to the young man who is somewhat alienated and Paul Schwartz says to him, Let me take a chance and ask you a question, Ayub. Do you think of this as a white school, as a school run by white people, and that it would be different if you were in a school that was, and is part of your anger at the school anger that is racial? That because Debbie and I, the co-directors of the school, are white, Richard's white, and more of the staff is white than African American or Latino. Do you think of it that way sometimes? Even though eighty times, yeah. But what school is it? Mm-hmm. At at at. So you know, I think there's so many um, ways in which the editing of the film places mm-hmm. these, um, you know, social class, race, ethnicity issues in kind of dialogue or in juxtaposition with each other. Yeah, and, and I, I think it, Barry Keith Grant points out in his uh, the newest edition of his book that like that just structurally the opening on a student talking is so starkly contrasted with high school from the yes. eight of just being like, what do you think of that? And then we just get to hear the student talking <laughs> it, it uh-huh. is, is an important thing. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see the role of parents in high school, too, because they're clearly, I mean, and in a high school as well, I mean, the parents are clearly there, they're clearly involved. Um, (laughs) But I, um, I think, you know, it's interesting to think about how the school, Central Park East, is also positioning parents, not just students, but positioning hmm. parents differently yeah. from the way Northeast High School did. How, because, how so? well, I, I think as somebody said, I can't remember who I was reading, but um, there's the scene in which the young woman has gotten uh, like a comment on her paper that says fantastic, but yeah, yeah. yet she's failing the class. And the father is like, well, fantastic. How could you? Yeah. yeah. How, could, <laughs> how could she be failing if the teacher's saying this? And, and the administrator rightfully says, well, you know, there are other grades involved. This, these couple of papers aren't the only thing. That's fair enough. But then, you know, the administrator kind of turns it around on the father. And, you know, the father almost becomes this sort of disempowered person. <laughs> and I can't remember exactly how it plays out. But, you know, he also, asks isn't the Also, isn't he kind of speak like calling his daughter not 
super smart in so many words, you know, in in a way that's very contrasting with the way parents talk about their kids in this film. Yeah, there there (laughs) is that. There is that. Um, But at the same time, he's, you know, he's fighting, you know, like this, how can she be fantastic and fail? Um, But then like the administrator sort of asks him a rhetorical question about himself. And I wish I could remember the, the details here. But in a sense, it turns, it sort of emasculates the father on a certain (laughs) level. And, you know, he becomes also, it's like the authorities of the school are ultimately always right. Um, And the the, the dialogues. And, and, you know, it's interesting when you hear um, the, uh, and I think it's the conference uh, with the boy who's, uncomfortable wishes there were more uh you know black or latino Mm -hmm. teachers or maybe wait it may be actually um another another student i just have some notes here that i'm sort of glancing at in which the you know the the parent is there and the question is like why aren't you doing your schoolwork what's what's Mm -hmm. wrong and um you know the administrator at a certain point says well you know that the parents trying to say look this is what you do you're a student you do this you you know you follow the rules but the administrator is backing off from that and saying well no wait a minute let's let's open a little bit more space here for him or i think it's (laughs) a boy to to sort of describe what the problems are you know what is it that's making it hard to do your work um so you know uh that's fascinating to me as well um you know how parents you know and again we talk a lot about performance you guys have talked a lot about performance in Wiseman's films and I think where we see performance most clearly represented is on the part of the adults who are not necessarily part of the institution, but who feel the need to um, to play a good parent. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. I, interesting. I think the the one you may be thinking of there they're sort of yeah the dad is sort of very you know taskmaster on the ball, and then the administrator yes. is more like. Well, it seems like maybe there's a disconnect between right. what the student yes. goals yes. are and what the yes. fathers and there's like this real advocacy on behalf of the student from the school. Um, yes, I know I'm smart. My father tells me, my teachers tell me, um, but I know that as to come for myself, and that's really my goal to say to for somebody to come up to me and say, I'm gl- I'm happy for you. I think I. Glad you didn't pass just pass by here. Right. Class Sounds by like maybe. your dad your dad's expectations are somewhat higher than what you have for yourself. What that your your dad's are that you could do very, very well. That yeah. B and passing, B is better than passing. And so better than passing is not what your dad wants for you. He wants something very wants you to really use your mind and do very good work here. But I also that's, do, but you want that too? Yeah. And I also, I want to do better than pass, like, better, better, and also, Mm -hmm. I want to really do very good. I want to do uh, as the high as I can go. Mm -hmm. But I have to do it myself. I can't have people say, got to do this right now. You got to try to encourage yourself. And they're 
playing this sort of mediation role and trying yes. to get them to to understand each other, essentially. Yeah, and I think it's the student, I think I caught his name as being Franz, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and okay. the father says, you know, um, the father is like, I'm not sure Franz wants to do well, is what the father says. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, um, the, the administrator kind of intervenes and, and just sort of says, you know, let's think about this a little bit. Um, you know, what is it that you really want? Um, and, uh, you know, there's a sense in which there really is respect being given to the student in, in a way that we don't see in high yeah. school. I, I, so, I, I'm sorry, just staying on this yeah. scene for a moment, but talking about how you were opening up Cynthia with with these first three sequences and just the juxtaposition of everything yeah. and how the structuring is so critical this scene comes right after the discussion of King Lear um, in yes. English <laughs> classroom yes, it does. and it which does. which ends which ends with the teacher kind of talking about you know uh, yes, you know, there may be some confusing elements as far as like perspective in this book, but isn't that what life is? You know, isn't mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. confusing and ambiguous? And then there's almost a match cut um, yeah, from that scene yeah. to the to this parent teacher student conversation mm-hmm. where they're navigating all these, you know, contradictions and ambiguities in, in what they're discussing and what their goals yes, are, you yes, know, just kind of yes. perfectly illustrating the point the last teacher was making. Very much so. And and again, it's also, um, you know, also resonates nicely with the whole idea of, you know, family, right? Because it's King Lear. And right, right. How do we, you know, relate to our very, and, and the issue of love and when love is real and when it's sort of transactional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. yeah, I think you're right. The, the um, you know, the placement, I mean, you know, it's great editing. It's really, really great editing. I, that, that makes me think of the scene towards the end with the um, uh, matriarch figure and the young boy and then the female teacher and they're all talking and, and, and the matriarch is like very passionate and like talking to her student, very invested in, in her child or her, whoever this this boy is to her right um in in his success and the teacher is too but the way they talk is so especially the teacher is so respectful um, Mm -hmm. of this student Mm -hmm. and also like really wanting this the student to succeed Mm -hmm. um in and some of the things that the matrix says just like like if you choose to cry you may go ahead and cry because yes you should feel sad inside Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me a lot of stuff that I heard my mom say, to, like in right. situations where, where like they're embarrassed because they're like, "Why do you put me in these situations?" Yeah. Like, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, and I think we can appreciate both sides of it. She. I love the way the fact that you're calling her a matriarch because she is a matriarch with a capital M, right? Um, but she is. I mean, she feels the need to perform what mm-hmm. she believes yeah. is, you know, and, and so I think that those are very interesting um, and telling moments and it doesn't make her any the less genuine, any the less sincere about right. her caring for her son. But at a certain point she says something like, um, you know, uh, do you do the, uh, you know, do you do the work and do you do it completely? And then she says he hasn't done anything beyond the draft. And then she comes down and she says she bought him an $80 
uh, catcher's mitt, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and like, why should I be buying you this if you're not going to do your work? Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, you know, having been a high school teacher and say, even yeah. teaching college these days, um, you know, there are students who just don't do their work, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, like what, what's going on here, you know? And sometimes it's like, well, you know, my roommate and her boyfriend broke up and I had to sit up with her all night and, you know, but, but, and, you know, you have to also, I mean, some of it is real. Some of it is genuine. Some of it's just bullshit, right. you know? Um, and I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I had a student in my documentary course this past fall who, um, you know, never got any work done. You know, it, it, she had several papers to write. She was going to write about high school, as a matter of fact. And, you know, nothing came, nothing came. But I remember seeing, so like, writing to her emails several times, no response to the emails. And at a certain point, I said, you know, what are you going to do here? I mean, I don't want you to fail, but you have a certain responsibility. And, you know, those kinds of things. You see them getting played out constantly in this movie. But here there really is a sense of, you know, trying to engage with the students mm -hmm. in a way yeah. that we don't really see in in the first um, high school. Oh, um, sure. I, th I think what's also interesting here, and this is something that I... Um, you know, kind of got when I visited Central Park East is the fact that, um, you know, the whole idea of habits of mind. And I love the fact that Wiseman um, sort of uh, stops on that sign where it says stop silent yeah, reading yeah. time, please no other business. And, you know, I, th I think that kind of says a lot, too, about the school, that this is about not just respect for students and where they're coming from, but really in engendering a true respect for learning and you know that will serve them hopefully you know as they move on in in their lives and i you know and i think that there is where the the, the contrast with high school mm -hmm. the first high school also exists because it's really not about to me, the kind of authoritarian approach or the kind of, and this was a high school very much like my own, and I was in high school around that same time. Um, so it's not really about engendering these kinds of habits that are going to give you a richer, fuller, more, you know, um, variegated life as an adult. It's really about just making you you know, into a kind of suburban or whatever, you know, middle-class citizen who will vote, who will pay taxes, mm -hmm. who will get through, right? I'm yeah. just a body doing my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, whereas here, I think in high school too, it really is about engendering real values that are going to serve the students and mm -hmm. maybe not uniformly and um, maybe not all in the same, not all with the same outcomes. But I think that's one of the big differences I see. I think his visual approach also kind of hmm. works there. I mean, what I would say, uh, you know, and I know we have two different cinematographers here, but I, and again, this was, uh, High School was his, only Wiseman's second film. So there is a level of inexperience, I think, mm -hmm. that, that we might mm -hmm. say is, is, is present 
present there. But I think the zooms, right? The the abrupt yeah. zooming in. Um, we still get some of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in high school mm-hmm. too. But it doesn't have the same kind of um, you know car cr- head on car crash right. quality to it. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. got it's it's more measured. It's more gradual and it, it's there and it's appropriate, um, I think, but it doesn't feel quite so much like um, it's kind of hitting us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm it's more subtle. Like the uh, a great scene and a, that, that uses that is the student mediation scene. Um, oh, I love that scene. It's beautiful, yes. yeah. And, which and is, isn't Lev a little stinker? <laughs> what happened? He first, he said something about my mother. Because I said something back to him. And first of all, I mean, I don't like people gilling me anyway. And especially if he's not my friend and he's not my friend. So um, I told him, don't do it again or I'm going to hit you. And he did it again just to get me provoked. So when we got down the stairs, um, I pushed him. I said, stop. And, and then um, Yusef, Yusef, my friend, and because he, he, um, he did something to to him, and then we were walking, and because I pushed him, he goes and he, he didn't push me. He he punched me, and then so we were walking. And everybody was like, "Well, man, I would have hit him. I can't believe that man." And they were all like, "I should you should hit him." And then I said, "Um, when we were getting outside the door, um, I pushed him on his head, and then he comes around and he hits me in my stomach. So then I um, I went back." And I pulled his jacket and I ripped it off. I ripped it, but it was it was kind of ripped. And it was like it was old and it was bobby pins were holding it together, so it ripped kind of easily. But I mean, this is the second time <laughs> the second we see time, him, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can tell this kid is just you know, uh, you he's, know. He, but he's uh, he's got like the Terminator Two kid yeah, haircut, yeah, yeah. you know, know, like the little know, badass. But he's also very thoughtful. <laughs> Like a very smart kid. Um, oh, very manipulative, yeah, yeah. if I want to say so. I mean, this kid, I wouldn't want him to be a lawyer and have to face him in court. And God knows what he's doing now. He probably is. Um, you know, yeah. but, but, but you know, the mediation scene is terrific. Yeah, you, I ha- think. you have these two, like, uh, uh, upperclassmen yeah, yes, who yes. Are, are, like, going through this mediation process. And, and it's clearly, like, sort of novel to them, and they're trying it out. But there's a beauty in, like, watching them try and figure it out and learn it and like stumble over words like you know there there isn't sort of this disciplinary uh uh right. feeling to it it's it, mm-hmm. it really is mm-hmm. just a conversation and mm-hmm. uh but but davy is zooming in on the faces and sort of following yeah. them very like gently and and yeah you get this this feeling of sort of this round table that everybody gets equal space uh but that's, yeah. that's just a and, great and- conversation and the teacher isn't there right from the start. No. She does come in. Yeah, yeah. She she does try to. And again, you do have to feel the resonance with high school, though, because you know uh, the uh, Tom not not Tom. I'm sorry, Ethan says that Lev says something stupid. You know, <laughs> right, and she's yeah. like, well, now in high school, uh, one of the student in the first high school, one of the students said something like, "I you know he was messing around or I was messing around." You know, what does that mean? Um, and you know, so and I think that both 
you know, teachers in both bodies are trying to like, what, what is it that you're saying here? Um, and so I do think, you know, to be fair to Northeast High School, they're trying to get at something, but they're going about it right. kind of in, in, in the wrong way. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> you know, Lev, Lev kills me. I, I mean, this kid. Um, and, and it's interesting because he's one of the few, we see a few students repeatedly, um, but he is really the one that, you know, at least I, uh, you know, kind of remember, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, is yeah. coming back. But I loved, I did love that scene. And um, and I, I like the fact that Wiseman allows it um, to play out. Uh, I'm sure it was long, much longer than mm-hmm. what we see in the film. But um, we also, as, as far as I remember, see that he racks focus so that, you know, we're mm-hmm. seeing, for instance, one of the mediators, Mark, I think, is closer to the camera. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the other mediator, Carlos, is, you know, and he does a really nice job of racking focus and bringing us in and out. Right. And the same is true with um, with uh, Ethan, who's sitting across from Carlos, and um, Lev, who's sitting across from Mark. And it's interesting, too, the way they have it set up, because, um, uh, you know, Mark, uh, Carlos is, um, is Ethan's counselor sure you know that he, at, so it's not like these two mediate these two mediators each one of them has a role and each one of them is connected with or assigned to the student to write to a student and I I, I think that's an interesting um, kind of yeah. interesting and, approach and, and the way that the conversation ends is really about um, find your mentor and discuss with them how yes. you're feeling and it's not about yes. discipline it, it's about yes. like finding a comfort so that you can best deal with this, which, you know, is the opposite of what we see in high school. And and the language to express themselves, <laughs> you yeah. know, don't say, you know, you did this, say, I feel a certain way. And this, of course, mm. comes, I mean, this yeah. is like classic therapy stuff, but, um, but it is very, you know, it's very educational for the students, whether they can actually fulfill this and carry it out the next time right. he says something stupid, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. is, 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 is another question, but it's an attempt anyway. I, yeah. I think to something that was really impressed upon me by that conclusion of this scene is that they're really speaking very specifically to each kid's issue. They're not trying to kind of speak yeah. broadly to how you should behave and, you know, mm-hmm. what it is to be like a student in the school. They're saying, So we came to an agreement. You guys agree not to call each other names or talk about each other's mother. And all the other stuff that you guys agreed to. Well, you gotta say all the other stuff. What it is? Well, we have to be um, specific. Not talking about his clothes, and he, and not his haircut or, or whatever. And he's not supposed to talk about your mother, or your family, or bother you. Um, you two guys agreed to that, right? Yeah. And that's how it's gonna be. You know, and we're going to start there, really. We're going to address the problems you're expressing, not necessarily what we're seeing as like the sort of overarching issues here. But if we're we're just going to listen to you express your grievances and address those, you know, in a way that seems really rare uh, in talking, you know, disciplinary 
And, you know, what's interesting for viewers is that, you know, everybody may come away with something a little bit different here. But one of the things that I came away with is that there really is a social class conflict here because Lev apparently pulled at Ethan's coat and he said, oh, well, (laughs) it fell apart. It was held together by bobby pins. And the idea that the clothes become some kind of an issue, um, you know, that there is... You know, to me, that's quite revealing. Sure. Um, and isn't without... there an issue about like, like one of them's parent is not around or something? Yeah, yeah. his his yes, I believe it's um, Ethan's mother who's not. That's around. what I thought. Or, yeah, and um, and you know, Lev is obviously kind of manipulating that and taking advantage of his, you know his opponent they're not friends um but i think it's interesting how this how also the mediators as well as the teacher don't force them to articulate too much um you know because it will become too uncomfortable and the fact that ethan can't really say what it is what the something Mm -hmm. stupid is that lev said it's obviously because it's very hurtful right right and he can't articulate that and is a, it's embarrassed to articulate it so i think you also see this kind of tacit respect mm-hmm. being uh, being exercised yeah. here as I, well I, I think too what this demonstrates um and and maybe going back a bit to sort of what we're talking about in some of these parent uh scenes is one one of the main conflicts at Central Park East or in high school too, is that yes, this by all accounts seems to be like a very exemplary institution, um, but it exists in an island to some degree, and they mm-hmm. always have to be contending with whatever institutions are being interacted with beyond the walls of the school that are, you know, bleeding in and, uh, you know, in a perfect world, everyone would carry, you know, these, uh, sort of progressive ethos and five habits of mind and everything would Mm -hmm. be working in tandem Mm -hmm. together. And I think that's the, the converse of that is what you were describing happening in Northeast in high school, right? They're just, they are in sync with all the other institutions mm-hmm. that are just mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. produce, you it's know, suburban training, taxpayers. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and bodies yeah. doing a job. Right. But here they're, they're kind of in a, in a, in a way like butting up against society. Right. Uh, and they're, they're trying to change it on like a generational level and, you know, it's it's a. I think all those high school students are in a position to have, uh, you know, be integrated into a wider society now. So, Cynthia, you you, you asked him uh, in the interview about like, which, which I love that you brought this up because we talk about this. But where the where is the power located? Where mm-hmm. where is the power mm-hmm. exercised in high school too? And um, sort of what that central ethos of 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 his meant for Central Park. Um, and he said Deborah Meyer, of course, which we haven't talked about yet, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, as the principal and sort of this innovative educator, this MacArthur genius. Um, but he, he was also saying that, uh, to your point, Arlen, that it's a democratic process that they're trying to instill. So at some level, sure. they're doing what they can to deconstruct the at least the severity of the hierarchy that exists between student and teacher and principal. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that come to mind when you're talking about this, you know, the school is the island, uh, which, yes, is true. I mean, we hear about somebody having been been shot, mm. right? A friend of a friend or a brother of a, of a student. Um, so we have that issue, right? Um, there is, of course, also the issue of, um, you know, just the inner city in general, poverty, what, you know, so many. And then, of course, the pregnancy pregnancy issue and I would like to talk about that but um but um but also to me what was interesting was the meeting among the literary faculty oh my gosh about Mm. you know what do we look I just want to say that I think the senior institute has a difficult time a much more difficult project than we in division one division two does because some ways it was added afterwards and the school sort of grew and then all of a sudden we reach a senior institute, and the senior institute is this key position because they're the ones that deal with reality in a certain sense. They're the ones that deal with the outside world much more than we do in Division One, Division Two. So in Division One, Division Two, we're able to create this nice world, you know, that we're sort of comfortable with, and we relate to each other, and we teach, you know, we sort of interact. And then it goes up to the senior institute, and all of a sudden you have these questions like, what does an S mean in terms of the transcript? Which kid is, you know, where are kids going to go to college? What are kids going to do with the rest of their lives? You know, how are kids going to face on the AP exam? So I think that's, those are serious issues that have to be confronted, how the school relates to the rest to reality, per se. But part of our school is also about changing what reality is. And I, so I, don't, I think that we have to, we, just because the AP says something, I don't think we have to sort of say, okay, we've got to do that, because that would make us a, what I would call a traditional school. So I think we have to be... Ref- reflective of that process and not be all, you know, because I think we're on to something here, and I don't think we need to necessarily give it up. Well, actually, a couple of things. First of all, I'm really sorry you picked up, you you know, you keep harping on this kind of AP thing. Um, well, I just don't want to make the, the reason why we do something is necessarily because some external body says we have to do it. No, And actually, can I, I'll explain actually the reason I brought it up is that, um, and Shirley probably has a different take on this than I did. When we went there, there were, I don't know, maybe 70 people, maybe 50 taking it. There was not, there were two New York public high schools represented. We were one, and I think the humanity, High School for the Humanities was the other one. All the other schools were private schools, they were suburban schools, they were schools in New Jersey, you know, um, Westchester County was there, all the, you know, she-she, Suburbs where these kids go to school. So they get um, college credit for taking the AP test. Now, I mean, I have no great love of the AP test, but I want to make sure that my, our children can at least go to college and not have to take remedial courses, reading or writing courses, and can compete on the same level with kids from private schools and suburban schools. So that's the only reason that I brought that up. I mean, what we see in the Senior Institute, you know, I mean, you know, I hate, I hate this, like, you know, the lower divisions and then there's the Senior Institute who deals with reality. I mean, it seems to me that all of us should be here dealing with reality. From the time a kid goes, school, goes to school, we need to be preparing them for living outside of school, you know, in whatever manner we are able to do that. 
And while we're trying to empower them to express themselves um, and to engage with literature, there's still this other body of academic knowledge that, you know, in the larger world, they are going to need. Um, and so the institute, so we, in a sense, I get the, the feeling that Central Park East is fighting against the, you know, kinds of things we see at Northeast, but that there is still a superstructure yeah. um, that is basically saying, well, you can only go so far with this uh, because these kids are going to have to, we want them to go to good institutions, colleges. We want them to be competitive. And it becomes, it it is this kind of conundrum, um, you know, and and a kind of sad one. um, But one that, you know, I would like to see a school that finds a way out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know. It's so key because like, one teacher is expressing, you know, our students can't answer these questions on the AP test, so it's going to limit their opportunities after they graduate. And another teacher is saying, like, if we do that, we're like all the other schools, you know, that doing addressing what you're talking about invalidates our whole deal, you know, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, there's the slow, the slow march of progress, uh, which is ongoing, but like, you know, how, yeah, how, how much can they within the superstructure you're describing, really implement what they want to implement and still yeah. do their responsibility to their well, there, students. There's, there's so much to talk about with this scene and, and, yeah. and, and how all of these things that they're discussing uh, just branch off into other things. But you also asked him about this scene, Cynthia, and, um, and he had this great response about like how all he is trying to do is, is sort of like bring like, add on to this debate. Well, it, and it's also interesting that you are an educator. We're a high school educator. So it makes sense that you're asking him about like these, these, you know, current debates in an education mm-hmm, system. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, his, his response is just like, you know, um, he's trying to raise questions and, and have you think about them, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes again towards the length of this film is that it's so good at just like raising questions and, and allowing you to think about them rather than being like, this is what the school is doing well or whatever and leaving it there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this debate that you're talking about Arlen is, I mean, I mean like it's, it's the key to the film to me at least. And um, yeah. one, one part of it is that the debate is happening between a white man and a black woman. And, and it's mm-hmm. essential to this debate is true, this yeah. idea of privilege. You know, it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. that the white man is being like, um, well, I want to change, like, we want to change the world and we want to be like experimental yeah. and like without, right. without worrying about the realistic day-to-day pressures of the outside mm-hmm. world. And the black woman is talking about actual conversations that she's had with past students who are struggling with the outside world after they, mm-hmm. they work with her. And, yeah. and it's weighing very heavily on her. That mm-hmm. and she she feels more comfortable building in realistic expectations into their curriculum, um, mm-hmm. such as being prepared for these AP exams. But but this debate reflects a spectrum of discipline and freedom. And and I love that your interview with him goes on to talk about you know these these early films of his because it's hard to talk about high school too without talking about this whole early 
Uh, it's kind of one of the unexpected things when, when I was revisiting this is, is how much it has to do with this early pack of, of his films mm-hmm. and the, oh, yeah. the spectrum of, of, of discipline and, and that you see in high school and basic training. And we talked a lot about uh, primate um, already and, and sort of this, this hierarchy of surveillance and discipline. And, um, and they're trying to find the balance and mm-hmm. in this school um, of, you know, uh, and, and we t- we also talked about it in the deaf and blind series of like we need to prepare these like in the in the first two films of that series it's very much like oh wow they're trying to fo- like on some sense they're fostering independence and trying to get these students to grow and then we go on to find out the only realistic expectation is to be a factory worker and <laughs> <laughs> for these people and mm-hmm. and that's the balance that they're trying to figure out in high school too but you know at least they're talking about it. Like they're not just internalizing the most, you know, dr- draconian end of the spectrum. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of mm-hmm. what's, what's important about high school too. Mm. What, what, you know, as you were talking, what kind of struck me is some of the movies, the fiction films that deal with this issue. Isn't it Stand By Me that is the one about the math teacher? Is that, am I confusing it with another movie where the issue becomes the students taking the SATs? It's an underprivileged school. Is that Stand By Me? Uh, or am I, is it the... Uh, with, is um, that the one with Edward James Olmos? Yes, yes. Um, so, so Stand, Stand by me is the one where they're they're on the train tracks and they're like, "You want to oh, see no, a dead no, no, body?" No. That's yeah. not, lean no. on me. Stand in, stand lean, on deli- me. Or, lean on me. Okay. Stand and deliver. Stand oh, it's all, all these. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, stand and lean on me, whatever the case may be. But yeah. um, but you know, I think it, it struck strikes me that films like that and Fred. Wiseman always says, well, one documentary isn't going to change the world. I totally agree with him. It may change an individual, though. Um, And (laughs) I've had certain films in my life that have, you know, kind of made me, you know, shaped my behavior, shaped my choices. However, I do think when we look at a film like It's Lean on Me or Stand and Deliver, whichever one it is. Okay. (laughs) Um, That, you know, that film, I think, actually did have some impact in terms of the way it represented the ETS, the way it represented the um, racial bias in the the ETS-produced, you know, tests. And, you know, and now a lot of colleges don't require SATs any longer. And, you know, so I think that it's interesting. And, and, you know, the, the... the sad thing, really, about um, Fred Wiseman's films is that so few people have seen them <laughs> by comparison to something like Stand and Deliver and or Lean on Me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so I think that that is also something that hopefully the, you know, the canopy access is now going to remedy again though you know i think as with you know there's a lim- there's still a limited audience for for this kind of cinema sadly mm-hmm. because i think there's so much to um so much to learn and one of the things that you you mentioned and this is something that um you know looking at the earlier films and i'm also thinking about juvenile court um, and I had a really great um, opportunity for about 10 years. I was teaching a course during the summer at NYU called 
cinema studies for the high school teacher. <laughs> and it was so much fun because so many high school teachers from around the country and even some from uh, uh, the UK and Australia came to this course oh, cool. because A, I mean, mostly because they just wanted to see New York and live in the dorm and be there for three weeks. It was like an intensive three-week experience. But one of the things we did was go to what was then called the Museum of Broadcasting. I think now it's called the Paley Center yeah. for Brecca, mm-hmm. whatever. But they had all of Wiseman's films there, of course, because they had aired on PBS. And, uh, you know, it was the various students of mine who were themselves high school teachers, I asked them to choose a film that they wanted to see. And they were sitting at Carol's with their earphones on. And I was walking around just having this great opportunity not to hear the films again, but to see them in juxtaposition with each other. So somebody here was watching juvenile court. Somebody here mm. was watching high school. Somebody oh, here wow. was watching basic training. Awesome. You know, somebody here was watching welfare. And the incredible sense of this sort of collage, this tapestry where everything did, you know, speak to everything else yeah. was was quite amazing. Huh. Um, you know, and, and again, it was just a, you know, it wasn't really an experience that I could say anything more about except right. that it was... it. It was kind of fascinating to me, you that, know. That's very fascinating. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I should just set that up in my house, just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was so maybe we should talk about the young woman who's fifteen years old oh, yeah. and is returning sure. to school. And now the dilemma is: there's a lot of issues. It's, it's very hard go back to school when you have a little baby, right? I mean, a lot of complications in your life. You don't, how much sleep you're going to get, how you're going to do the studying on the side, your own f- friends, and, and all your... And the part of the baby is going to stay with me in the room in the bassinet so she could sleep. Right. This way, when she comes out of school, she'll go home, do her homework, then she'll be with the baby. But she is trying to live two lives, right? To be, how old are you? 15, 15-year-old, and to be a mother. So that's complicated. And a student. And a student. So she's going to be a 15-year-old with friendships, and then she's a daughter, and she's a sister, and she's a mother. And there's a lot of... And, and you want to graduate? You're determined to do that? Yes. At the moment, you're hoping to do it here? Yes. The, the reason I say that at all is that I would love it to work out that way. I really would. Some schools where it's also possible to bring your child with you to school have some advantages. So just keep that in mind. I mean, there's not a defeat if you decide at some point that you want to be somewhere where the baby can come to school with you. There was a great interview with uh, Wiseman about that very thing, that very scene, because he said that he spent so much time editing it. The meeting took an hour and a half. And the reason he even got there in the first place, I don't know if you've read this interview, it's in the... um, the book that uh, is called Imagining Reality, the book that Kevin McDonald and Mark Cousin um, had put together. And um, he said the reason he even 
you know, stumbled upon that scene was that he saw a baby carriage out in the hall. Oh, wow. And he was like, oh, this is odd. You know, what's a baby carriage doing here? And he happened to the the mother, the 15-year-old mother, was standing outside waiting to meet with with Debbie, uh, the principal. And she said, yeah, I'm having this meeting to find out about coming back to school. And he asked for permission to, you know, to film it. And um, he, you know, really said, you know, the big thing that he was struggling with was how could he give an honest representation in, you know, he edited it down to 22 minutes, but then he had to edit it down further. And then he said something interesting, which was that when he was looking at the final cut or near the final cut, he was wondering if he should even include it because this was not a commonplace in the school. It was more the exception to the rule. And I I thought that was interesting um, that he was worried about that and that he he ended up keeping it. Um, But, you know... And, and I do think it's a fascinating scene in the film. Mm-hmm. When when I it took me like three times watching it to figure out that the young man in the scene is yeah, her brother and yeah. not the boyfriend, right? Um, the estranged boyfriend. Um, and it's what's also interesting about that scene is that Deborah Meyer and the the I think there's a, the counselor I forget her name who's there. Um, you know they're really looking down the road like what's going to happen after school if you run into the new girlfriend. Um, they're really thinking beyond the walls of the school and keeping things peaceful in front of them. They're really thinking about what happens beyond, and I thought that was a really fascinating um and unique kind of thing you know for a lot of school administrators and and it's interesting that what you're saying about him like maybe not including it it, because whether or not it's it's typical for this school i imagine it's typical just in high school like the film is still called high school too it's not central park east and that is uh still a uh you know somewhat universal experience for a lot of 15-year-old women. Yeah, I I think that's true. And then isn't there that other conversation that we hear among the students? There's sort of five of them where one of the boys who's 18 is also a father. So it doesn't seem all that atypical, really. Yeah, Yeah, that scene scene with the 18-year-old father is just... uh, Incredible. Actually, he he told he told Charlie Rose that that he thought that was the best scene in the film. In his yeah. Wiseman told Charlie mm-hmm. Rose. Yeah, that. yeah. And uh, so it made made me feel very uh, justified. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's one. It's an, I, I watched this for the first time like a year or so ago, and that's always stuck with me. That scene. Yeah. And and when you watch it, like I was looking forward to rewatching it, and you watch it, and there really is nothing novel about this conversation. Like, I mean, he's. It's not that he's articulating something that is like, oh, I haven't thought about it that way. It's like you could write this. You could write this scene yeah. if you were if you were a writer. Mm-hmm. But there's something about his expression of it and that is touching and also his friend's interest in mm-hmm. what he's saying. You know, thinking again about the structure of the film, um, it's I think it is novel in that 
I mean, there may, there's the, the student organizing the protest scene, but this is really the only scene we have of students Just talking student. to yeah, each yeah. other without yes. any adults present, you know? In Pennsylvania, people be parking their cars and leaving them, like, leaving them in the parking lot. And they leave their kids in the cars with the car open and everything. They just leave the baby sleeping in there or whatever. Then they come back. I never leave my baby in the like, car. Remember that lady that went to court because she left the baby in the trunk? Because she, she went to, to, to work. work. She had to go to work. She ain't find no babysitter. What? Yeah, Why would about that? Trunk? She left them in the trunk. And that, it was, the baby it was, was crying, so they, yeah. they called the cops. But it, it, wasn't really, no. it wasn't really the trunk. It was a trunk, but she put her, the chair, you know, the seats in the back, she pulled them down. Oh, so she so laid the it down. trunk and the whole thing was, you know, one. yeah, mm -hmm. one whole thing. And she you left the baby there. That's messed up. No, I ain't here about that. How old was the baby? Like one year old or two? How's your kid? It was real crazy. My kid, he's all right. He, he was sick a, a while. What are you at? He had 105 fever. What? 105? Come he on, man. 106 died? and you dead. Nah, he wasn't dead. Well, he, I'm saying he was wasn't he about to like die. He, but he was really he? hot. Yeah. So I think I think it's notable in particular for that reason. Um, and and even uh, within that, though, they're they're talking about these really heavy kind of adult issues. You know, they're sort of uh, how how they are not seen as children, not seen as students, but seen as as peers with each other. Yeah. And I mean, one of the questions that I have and I should have asked him when I interviewed him was, um, you know, how did that scene come about? Were they just hanging out? How yeah. did you have access? Um, because it is such a fascinating scene. And when he spoke with Charlie Rose, did he say anything about that? Because <laughs> I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, to me, it was it was just a fascinating, uh, fascinating scene. And I'm actually, sorry, I'm just kind of looking through my notes here just to see exactly, to remind myself where the placement of it is. And um, I'm not it, sure. It comes, it comes after the scene of, I think it was Paul Schwartz talking uh, to another teacher. It's a brief scene about, like, uh, there's a parent who's an alcoholic and oh, sort that's, of yeah, 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 how they yeah. navigate we, that, which again, yeah. you know, is interesting coming before the scene discussing a young father, you know, oh, right. which, yes, which yes. And, and that scene, he starts talking about that because um, a girl in this group is talking about how like, uh, somewhere in the suburbs or you know New Hampshire or something like right. they leave babies in cars and it's yes, fine yes you know? and that's how <laughs> yeah. well they start yeah. right they start yeah. by talking about like well they start um, by talking about yeah, a drive in Massachusetts in we were well that and then you know I was in Massachusetts and they leave their cars open and they leave their keys in it and they're in the store for 10 hours the kid says and they come out and the car is still there and you know that's just a again what a revealing thing to say right um and i mean i grew up in pennsylvania they talk about you know pennsylvania leaving the kid in the car um but the realities of new york for people who you know aren't familiar i mean it really does like bring something home and you're right the way they transition then into the discussion of the baby is 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 really really uh, really well, it's, just, it's very like organic it's just yeah. very yes. like like uh just such a great example of of weissman's approach bearing fruit and just sort uh -huh. of 
filming something, letting a conversation play out, not knowing where it's going to go. But then through the framing of it, you know, where he decides to start and end it, just this sort mm-hmm. of meaning, this unmissable, mm-hmm. you know, meaning and just coming through. The the scene is all about that outside world. And and mm-hmm. the, we I remember Arlen when we started this project and we were watching like, like the first like three or four films, um, I guess like, through basic training at least and we were just like it was so funny to see in these like mostly like besides law and order these like very cloistered uh films where like the real world the i mean the outside world would perforate and like you Mm -hmm. know uh, parents would come to visit basic training you're like oh my god i haven't (laughs) thought about the world outside of this and high school too is like all about it and mm-hmm. um, like mm-hmm. this scene is all about it. And uh, I think Barry Keith Grant, maybe it is, talks about how like we hear sirens during one of the, the yes. conversations yes. and sirens at the end uh, credits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is Barry. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, I don't know, it, it, you know, in Hazlitt, Michigan, which is uh, where um, mm-hmm. I, the choral I, group is from. Right. And I I, uh, I used to live close to Hazlitt. But um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, th- them coming in there. And like I said, like what an invisible presence like L.A. has in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's fascinating, even though this is a very cloistered film, you know, like Arlen, you mentioned uh, yeah, yeah. on Letterboxd about like just being like, I want to get out of this classroom. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. even though we get these, you know, pillow shots of, of the streets and stuff. But Right. Well, I, I mean, there are a couple of funny things in the movie, too. Right after this, of course, he uses the hallway shots, right, as transitions. We also get the transitions to the outside, nighttime. We come back in the morning. But there's this girl. I don't know if you remember this. She's reading the Odyssey, and she's got this giant lollipop <laughs> that she's eating. It's just yeah. a single shot, and it's right after this scene. But there's something about that that is, that is quite funny. Um, I also right after this i'm just looking at some notes here they do the um there's the class on the ozone layer oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and and the uh you know the teacher keeps saying yeah but but why why are you saying it's it's dropping but why is it dropping and what can can you know um in what uh, way is it dropping and you know she had the kid has a piece of paper the student does and she's sort of like is it this is it that is it yeah. that and i love the way the camera circles around like a student and looks over the shoulder to see what she's drawing on the paper yeah. and i just think that that kind of um you know kind of self-aware presence the camera makes us aware of its presence i think that's really kind of important in the movie too the camera doesn't pretend to be invisible um you know we're made to be aware you know that that this is a process of filming that's that's going on well cynthia earlier you you brought up self-reflexivity and Mm -hmm. you know i think this is one moment in the film that is weissman is talking about his approach to you know these multiple perspectives wanting to have evidence and data and you know clearly Mm -hmm. articulate things Mm -hmm. beyond just kind of generalities and i think you know mamber uh in his journal note talked about this a fair deal with the five habits of mind just sort of being analogous to fred's approach precisely Um, yes but i think you know, so so much of this film, yes, it's about education, but it's it's more about how we arrive, how do how do we evaluate education, and how do we arrive mm-hmm. at what we think a good education is? And I think I think you know you could you know maybe this is a, a bit highfalutin, but 
how do we arrive at a good film? How do we construct a good I film? Agree. How do I we agree. Con- construct, uh, you know, the, the movie's about communication, really, and conversation. Mm-hmm. And how do we do that in these different mm-hmm. forms, be it education, be it cinema? That, that's mm-hmm. the Christopher Columbus scene. Like, it, it, it's, it's like... <laughs> if that's what you're writing about in this paragraph here, that he was an individual, and individualism was strongly encouraged in the Renaissance, right. then say that. Well, what I was that trying to get example. in this paragraph was not only showing like why they might have thought that, but I was trying to get like into the next paragraph by saying, well, look at some of the stuff he did. He wasn't really a Renaissance man because everything he did wasn't based mm-hmm. on fact. It was just on you know theories that he had. Mm-hmm. And a Renaissance man like he doesn't only explore, but he has like some facts to back up what he says. Well, mm-hmm. which he didn't really. Right. At least I don't think he did. Right. Well. See, but I think you should be clearer in each paragraph about what characteristic of the Renaissance you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then you can give evidence. Well, how can I do that? I have this idea. I want to I wanna, I wanna get across my point. And, and the teacher's mm-hmm. like, all right, slow down. Let's gather like some <laughs> empirical <laughs> evidence. Let's put yes. that together. Yes. And, but yeah. the way he does it is so gentle and uh, beautiful. I yeah. can see it. Yes, yes. Happen. I must say that as a former English teacher, that scene is painful for me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, you got to do this. But, but you, you know, you don't want to tell them what to do, but you kind of want to get them to well, figure it, it out. It was very, like, Socratic. He's like, is it true that he had a non-religious worldview? <laughs> right. You know, and she's That's like, right. well, yeah, you know. Oh my god, we haven't even <laughs> talked about the debate scene. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, the immigration debate. First thing that you're doing is you're simply presenting your policy, the policy that you have des- that you have spent the last week or so developing. You're just going to present that, okay? The second thing you're going to do, and there's where the fun begins, is you're going to challenge your opposition's policy and try to figure out how to prove to us over there that your policy is better than their policy. Your goal is to prove that yours is better than theirs. Okay? All right? I made this suggestion to everyone. I'm going to make it again. While, the, while this group is presenting its policy, you take notes on, on things that you think are weaknesses in their policy. Same thing is true for you. And there's going to be very few rules except that you should try to speak one at a time so that I can get clear notes. You should try to speak one at a time simply so that you're all heard. But unlike when we had this censorship debate, there's no specific order. There's no particular back and forth. You're just going at it, and you're just going to try to prove that your policy is better than theirs and made a better policy win. That's, that Well, that's now the middle school, right? Those are the younger students, yeah. the lower yeah. school. And it's interesting because when I think I visited Central Park East, they had not yet graduated, um, no pun intended, to creating the upper school, the, the senior high school. And they were they started at the elementary level, and then gradually as the students got older, they expanded the school, which which made a lot of sense. But, yeah, so the debate scene, uh, what, what, what do you think? <laughs> About it. I mean, it's kind uh, it's of funny. It's so fun. I mean, it's it's just like, it's it's well one like it's dealing with well one we shouldn't have communists in our country. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to see that coming off the deaf and blind. But but so. we also don't want people who have no arms. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Exactly. It's funny to to see this after the deaf and blind films, which are very like, anti-Russia, 
and also like the <laughs> handicapped people. But uh, anyway. yeah, but you know, immigration uh, becomes a big issue in uh, Wiseman's films, like in, yes. in the twenty first yes. century, and it's mm-hmm. interesting to see it kind of like seeded here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but but you know, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's a really entertaining scene and the, and the teacher does such a fun like job of like mm-hmm. of keeping like this raucous like debate happening mm-hmm. and engaging He's just like devil's advocating yeah. like <laughs> to everything you know yes, like yes. like he i mean it's a true it's it. a true like debate class you know yes. you're not really talking about the merits of what's being discussed so much as like strengthening your position and presenting yes. like a strong yes. cohesive argument you said that refugees would face no restrictions and these people would qualify as refugees if it, she's right these people would qualify as refugees and now you're saying that you know you'd let anarchists come in you want anarchists coming in here disrupting our government overthrowing our government what kind of sense does that make? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many people will vote for anarchists here. Well, how how do you know they're anarchists? If they just play like an um refugee? They have to prove to they have to prove that they haven't committed any what was it? It was um crime that they were able to support themselves and that yeah. they were living like normal people. But you said that you ain't sending no refugees back. Right. But that's but what what you didn't say you didn't say that they had to take the test. What if it was a murder? What if one third of a country was? I'm just saying. What if one third of a country was anarchist in a, in in a country that had a democracy? You mean if one third of that country came and you wouldn't you wouldn't send them back at all? What if he was a murderer in this country? What if he believes in killing? Yeah, I, I think that's really true. And again, I think it's interesting that. And again, I'm, I'm just, you guys have, you know, have better sense of this than I do. And I just watched it twice, but, um, and even have notes. But um, there is then the discussion about the American dream oh, yeah. in yeah. the one class. Sure. Yeah. I just wanted to say that you were talking about um, the issue of respect and everything and um, material items. I think that everybody, like a lot of people in this world, like lost all their moral values and everything, like searching for this American dream. Like the like drug dealers and even big corporations, they don't care who they hurt. Like they're just messing up the environment and all so that they could live comfortably. And people need to think about that. Um, they're they're reading um, the Lorraine Hansberry to be young, gifted, and black, and they've earlier read Raisin in the Sun, uh, and that's a kind of an interesting. You know, again, I don't think it comes all that close to the debate scene, but um, it does resonate with that scene in, yeah. in an interesting way. And, and just just in general, like charting, like. You know, we we talked about it here. We talk about it all the time about how Wiseman's project is also charting a, a certain like archive of America um, in over the yeah. last fifty years, and um, and it's interesting to see how ideas about the American dream have shifted within the cognizance of the the, the people, especially young people. Like mm-hmm. even from like we we saw it uh, in the eighties uh, in the, mm-hmm. the project and and in I guess uh, stuff like high school, but. In from here to at Berkeley in 2013, it has shifted drastically to where like mm-hmm. you know the middle class mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore, and mm-hmm. and these ideas about what the American dream are, you see it here in high school in 1992, of of 
how it's how it's already shifting or like there there becomes more like self-awareness or disillusionment that that becomes a part of the the perception mm-hmm. of, well, of at, youth. at this point in particular too in 92 after 12 years of reagan bush right like, right, like that right. that is a big uh like just cultural ideological shift you know mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of how do how do we conceive of set success a life well lived in america you know what what is valuable um, you know, and I think like, like high school one, just imagine this conversation happening at Northeast at all. Right. 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 Which, yeah, yeah. which they in high try sc- to, yeah, there's yeah. that one little thing right toward the end where the students have this right. club, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the, and, the and there, trash there fire. Is, right. But there <laughs> is one student who is, wants to be articulate, wants to say, but there isn't the, there just isn't the springboard for it. Right. You know, I mean, you can see it wanting to come out, but there just isn't enough um, reinforcement at all. I mean, there's none. Uh, but I thought what was interesting about the scene in high school, too, is that the boy who does most of the talking, he's very articulate, and he starts out with one view, and then he completely changes his opinion, <laughs> which I thought was so interesting in that we begin to see, we see his thought process evolving, yeah, yeah. right? Or what you think um, you're supposed to say in class, and then you're like, oh, this right. is, like, it's, a safe, it's safe for me to like not just say what right. I'm supposed to say. He kind of starts like something like... Money is like the door to your dream. <laughs> and you're yeah. kind of, you're, something you know, like that. Yeah, which, yeah. which on its face kind of appears a bit uncritical, but then as he gets into it, it's like, mm-hmm. really, the American dream has shifted. You know, That's this isn't a exactly good thing. You know, like, yeah, yeah right. I mean, he does, he, he actually looks at it historically. He says the American dream changed from freedom of religion, you know, when, of course, the settlers first came, to pursuit of money. Um, And I, I don't know if he uses those exact words, but... Um, I do think it's also interesting that by the time we get to the end of it, he says, I think America is too individualized Mm -hmm. to have a unified dream. And then he says, our society is all mixed up. And then he goes, you have to have, you know, you, um, you have a right to have a different dream from your neighbor. This is where he's you know, revising his initial attitude where he saw it somehow as a unified thing. This is what it is. And now he's saying, well, now it, I don't quite know what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, and, Which, and I thought that that was fascinating because we see him coming to a greater sense or understanding of complexity you know, complexity of thought, which is, you know, in a sense it literalizes what the school is trying to do, I think. Which I think, you know, we haven't, well I was just going to say maybe this is the time we've sort of danced around it but we haven't really talked about Rodney King directly yet. We have you not. Know, and, and thinking about how that comes up throughout this film uh, as expressed in this, I think that's the subtext for this moment. It's like we, you know, how can we all see this video and know what happened and yet you know this jury of 12 uh lets them off right and mm-hmm, you know it's mm-hmm. it's different uh, uh perceptions of what it is to be an american you know what should be happening mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. who who is someone we hold in esteem and who is someone we denigrate you know and and how all of our individual experiences and cultural contexts inform that you know um yeah but, yeah, but no, I, mean, I, th- I think that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 dates this film, not dates, but like I feel like you know we situates. Sh- Sean, you talk about like like 
MLK being assassinated during the the production high of High School, um, and it's barely addressed other than mm-hmm. you know what do they send his wife? That's, <laughs> as, yeah, as, that's what know. Fred. There's, Fred but, yeah, yeah. There's there's a passivity. The fruit he of says. flowers. Yeah, yeah. He, ta- he talks about the passivity of the students then, and it's interesting that we see such organization with some of the students here in high school too, or you know they're keeping each other in check. You need more time to think about this. This is a good thing that y'all want to do, and I understand that y'all really feel about this, how y'all really feel about this. But if y'all going to do it right, y'all have to have more time. you got to think about what you're doing. you got to have a main point. You have to have a reason for being down there. You have to have a position to stand and keep standing on it. You do not go down there one day and expect that to do something. You keep doing it. This is not going to go away by one march, by one high school. You need more people, more action. You need a point to stand by. And then it's even funnier in 2013 in at, at Berkeley, where there is so much fervor, but no organization. Right, it's just yeah, like this yeah. almost obligatory, like, uh, you know, protest. But um, also, like, again, going, looking at this, this, like, broader view of, of things shifting, like, this young kid talking about how the pursuit of of wealth like that that is now considered to be the american dream and then to see like relate it to something like in jackson heights where it's just like so systemic that businesses are just being like small businesses which you know at a certain time was the american dream are just Mm -hmm. like preyed Mm -hmm. upon until they no longer exist Mm -hmm. yes yes yeah i mean i i mean i live in new york city and you know i see it all the time and certainly covid sped up that process for sure but um but you know yes and and i do think um this film i mean obviously coming so much earlier um the students are aware. They really are aware mm-hmm. of this. Um, I, I wonder, you know, when I think about, you brought up Rodney King and that meeting where the students have in the library and what they're going to do that weekend. They're going to go down to City Hall. They're going to show. And I think it's really interesting, again, you know, we are not violent people, the, the student oh, right. says, the leader. Um, you know, people think, and, and she says, you know, people think we're savage or something like that. She uses a word like that, which is kind of, you know, to me, a bit shocking, right? Um, that she has so internalized this idea, you know, of, of who she is as a non-white student. I think this was in the midst of the riots, right? Like, like they, yes. someone yes. had talked about that that sort of famous clip of you know right. someone getting she, pulled out of their truck yeah. and on the street and, exactly you know. she says something like um you know prejudice against minority there's so much prejudice against minorities people see us as savages uh we are not violent people um but it's so and she says but we're going to deal with this in a positive way and she is quite moving and, and really articulate about this um, but then there's what's also interesting about the meeting is the other student mm-hmm. who speaks up and says, no, wait a minute, we're not organized here. Um, going down there one day isn't going to change anything. Um, what about gathering with other schools? What about collective? She doesn't use the word collective, but that's what she's talking yeah. about, collective activity. So again, I think that that's you know, a real debate as opposed to the you know, the, the, the stage to debate right, in the classroom. Yeah. It's reflective of what they're preaching throughout the it's, class. Yes, yeah. course, yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you see it kind of 
in action, right? In that library yeah. scene, whereas you see them being, you know, practicing that mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in the, in the classroom scene. But then talking about what we were discussing earlier about Central Park East as an island amidst all these other, you know, like, right. uh, not so progressive institutions. What do we hear happened at the protest, right? As these stu- protesting students were beaten students by cops, got, yes, you know, yes. and, and what happens when these, progressive uh, ideologies and practices that are <laughs> imbued at the school are coming up against these outside American institutions, mm-hmm. right? And it's violence. It's <laughs> violence against the people who hold these ideals to be true. So, you know, kind of going back to the AP test yeah, conversation, yeah. you know, like this is just a, a more visceral demonstration of that. Yeah, you know what interests me too? I mean, we hear that conversation between Paul and the other guy about some kid, you know, a kid who was a brother got got shot or something i mean it's horrible but the interesting thing is we never really hear the faculty talk amongst themselves or with students like what happened when you went down there you know yeah the students talk to each other about it right Um, yeah the only real reference is very vague and i i i or at least I'm guessing what Deborah Meyer's talking about is when they just allow like an assembly or something to happen. Yeah, she's like, maybe we have to be more deliberate. She, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That that otherwise we don't really get that. The other thing that's interesting to me is the is the young man who speaks before the Hazlitt Choir performs. Well, I I chose upon myself to come here and stand in front of the stage and talk to all y'all Central Park East Secondary School students, students to talk about a little bit what we've been going through today. And I know from the Senior Institute that a lot of students are upset about what's been happening in Los Angeles and, and it bothers them a lot and what's happening. I just wanted to tell them that Nobody here is our enemy, and that same way that the newspapers say and all these people that come visit us say that we have to stick together, and that these people from Michigan, right? (laughs) From Michigan, not California. They're from Michigan. Um, that, what, what, what they're doing here, they're doing here for us. They're not, they're not here to, to make us feel better. They're here because they like to sing and they want, they want to show what they got. And they're not our enemies either. Right here, there's nobody in this room that are enemies. And, you know, doing anything drastic would just put us in a bad position and make us just like any other high school in New York City, which we're not. And I was curious, and again, the film doesn't provide this information, but I would love to know how that came about. You know, was this something that faculty suggested? Was it something students themselves felt was important? And it it was so interesting to me that it, it assumed that the students from Hazlitt would feel scared to be in this 
very diverse environment. Urban environment, um, yeah. So that assumption, you know, the assumption that, that, that and again, I would love to know where the, where that came right. from, how that, how that. Even, yeah, you know, it's very uncomfortable. It's interesting that I feel like a lot of critics writing contemporaneously seem to be bringing those assumptions as well about, you know, what this sort, what a school in this kind of neighborhood looks like, you know, and what to expect and that the film, you know, is is contradicting those assumptions. But I think I think we could kind of take that mixed in with these kids that like there's something culturally, you know, at play that just is telling people who don't go to these schools that like these are bad places these are dangerous places you know it's it's the local news kind of bent you know of metal detectors and gangs and you know the the things that keep the suburban the the suburban families in the suburbs you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean when i taught in chappaqua i mean so many of the students i mean they were an hour away on metro north from the city um how many of them really went into the city? Uh, you know, some, there were some who were really, like, really wanted to, but, but you know, there, there was a kind of, you know, insularity about it. And even um, one year I, I worked at Manhattan College, which is at 242nd Street, which is on the edge of this uh, area of New York called Riverdale, which is semi-suburban, but it's not. It's still, like, connected by subway. And so few of those students ever took the subway right down into into midtown um so i mean that's 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 kind of another issue i wanted to say on the on the choir thing real quick though you know i i think selfishly i wish that wiseman could have extended the film another few minutes because i want to hear the second song oh yeah (laughs) and you know what was interesting too it was kind of a madrigal song right Uh something that you know that would probably have not been a particularly familiar style of music for this very white group yeah very they're clearly um, a little rough and what what i thought was interesting about it we never saw the audience Uh until the end when they applauded but you could hear at first that they were like oh what the hell's yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. then, but then, as they heard it, just the opposite. You could hear uh-huh. them becoming attentive. You could hear them getting yeah. kind of engaged with it. For sure. Um, the one thing about Central Park East, which you know, is too bad. Um, they, you know, they often use the mantra "less is more," and one of the things that they had less of, at least when I visited there, they had no arts. Um, I mean, they did have, uh, I think, visual arts because in the hallways you see all kinds of beautiful artwork, yeah. right? Um, but they didn't have, I think, music. Um, I don't think huh. they had any kind of sustained arts program, um, which, again, this is these are the kinds of choices that yeah. so many urban schools have had to make. Right. Um, but, you know, that, you know, my husband's a music teacher, so so for him that that was like a really a, something yeah. a big missing piece. Huh. But I would say, well, but you know, the humanities, the way they approach literature, the way they're, right. they're attempting to they're do, trying, yeah. and I don't know that we see that they have any kind of theater program where the yeah. where students perform. I assume not because we don't see it, but. Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting thinking about also Northeast in high school because I I remember coming out of that film 
being like, I feel like there was very little education going on at all. Like uh-huh. what we yeah. would think of as like classroom instruction. You right, know? right, um, right. Uh, what we get is like Simon Says and this weird like space capsule thing they yeah, do. Yeah. And, you know, like all, all these kind the of just like, yeah, like, like what's going on sort of thing. But here it's like almost all instruction. It's like kind yeah. of none of these humanities well, like you're talking about. You know, yeah. something that you just said just hit me. Um, I never thought of this before, but it's like Northeast is trying to appeal to the students trying to be cool with them yeah, you know the simon with the says, space Paul capsule simon, thing well this the, the the simon says thing i mean i had a gym class where i had to wear exactly that kind of white outfit <laughs> and where we did exercises to exactly that same record but um but the but the it's horrible but um but the thing that i'm thinking is um that um you know it's a superficial attempt to engage students yeah, yeah. And it's almost a, um, it's almost patronizing, for right? Sure. Yeah. It doesn't show respect for the students' minds. It's just like, oh, they're going to think this space thing is cool, so right. let's do this. Or, oh, they're going to think that Simon that Simon and Garfunkel are cool. And I felt bad for that teacher, I have to admit. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know I said, geez, Fred, why didn't you let, let us hear the discussion <laughs> that came after, you know, this poor teacher, she's trying. But, you know, he said, well, there was no discussion, so. Yeah. I mean, the... Well, that's the thing in, in the Charlie Rose interview, Fred really says is the key to this whole thing is respect. It's respect mm-hmm. between yeah. all parties, you know, educators, administrators, students and parents. They're all getting it then they're all giving it, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, something like going way back to, to that third scene where he's uh paul is asking the student you know would you feel differently if if we were black you know if do you think this is a white school like i feel like just that question uh contains like such a degree of respect uh to to meet them up like like it's an answer they probably know before they ask it but to (laughs) to ask it knowing that that answer is coming and giving him the space to express that feeling (laughs) and then to validate that you know in the face of his own mother who's trying to be like my son's not prejudiced you know and it's also it's also wiseman putting that scene up front so that he knows we're like we know that he's thinking about it throughout yes, the film. You know, I agree. We're, we're not I going agree. like, oh, well, it's like. Well, I mean, that those two scenes together, right? The first one with the student saying, "Well, social class is the real issue here," right. and then this scene where we see, well, but race is also the issue here. Yeah. I mean, those are those are the two things that you know we see right at the yeah. beginning of the yeah, movie. Yeah, uh, we we didn't touch on on the. Uh, the sex ed scene, which is interesting. Oh, I, I know. I was going to say, we haven't talked about the condom yet. <laughs> yeah. The most important thing about using condoms is knowing how to use them as well, as well as feeling comfortable with them and being able to talk about them. So we want to just make sure that we know how to use a condom. And, I mean, one of the things is that we want to check an expiration date on the condom package. Which is, is notable for many reasons, but notable uh, because it's uh, educator, you know, doing an educational scene for other educators. Yes, and yes. So it's very uh very I yeah, um it would be in yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and again, if, if that scene were in high school in the first high school, I think it would have been just 
presented in such an absurdist way. Um, and, you know, it, it is funny. How could it not be a little bit funny? But, you know, when I came away from it, it's like, Jesus, you know, it's so complicated using a condom. How, you know, like she was like, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. And if you store it this way. And it was like, my God, it's like that you know, rocket science, Um, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, and in that respect, I guess it was a little bit funny, but it, but it, you know, I mean, the nature of it, uh, of course, you know, it's funny. It's, you know, any, uh, but, but, but at the same time in the context of HIV, you know, it's not, this isn't about not getting pregnant. This is about dying. Well, I mean, there's a, there's obviously a direct connection with this film the central park you know being mm-hmm. a block over um and that film was uh has the scene with the memorial it's quote full. you know just right, kind of in the midst right. of the epidemic that. you know yeah, yeah, um and yeah. i think that that really you know I, I remember you know music from the era you know like hip-hop songs talking about jimmy hats and stuff there was this really conscious effort to you know, make condom use normalized, you know, and mm-hmm. I think this this was probably in the midst of all that. But I think for me, one of one of the things I really came away is the, talking again about metaphor and self-reflexivity and just like, if you don't thoroughly examine this condom, <laughs> do everything right for it, keep it in the, the right condition, it's, it's going to break and it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> Be sure that you roll it the right way. It's a, but yeah. it, but there's like an absurdity in like this woman talking to other adults about education, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also a white woman using a black dildo. And I know. Half well, the Mary, there Mary points that out, right? Just yeah. Mary Keith Grant point that out. That and, what, yeah. what's the film where they use public the housing? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. That's right. an amazing yeah. scene where it's just like talking to. I don't know if you've seen it, but talking. Yeah, to, but I don't remember it that well. To these, to these uh, young women, and there are so many babies in the room that are crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, you yeah. can barely hear her. Yeah, I know. Very, oh God! Yeah, fun. yeah. They make for a great pair. But what I would say is, you know, that I came away with this, like, and, and like, if a student asks you for a condom, be sure to give them the card. Yeah. And then yeah. there's the, inst- and, and like thinking the card, I mean, how many high school kids are actually going <laughs> to, you know, take that card, yeah, really yeah. look at it carefully, uh, you know, and, and great that New York City schools were making condoms available. I mean, all yeah. really, really good. Um, I like that she's talking about how how much some of these children at this age or like most children at this age don't really know what their bodies are like they don't know what's comfortable they don't know what sex yes. is supposed to feel like yes yeah, and so yeah. there is a certain regard for um there is their, their yes. cognizance that i found touching I, I i thought so too i agree with you i it would have been interesting to have a follow-up scene between you know one of the faculty and a student you to know how requesting yeah. a condom right. and you know and i wonder you know i mean how many students would actually request a condom from a teacher i you know mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah. I and at this school you assume so and what's nice also about the school is that the faculty are everybody's on a first name basis right yeah, yeah uh which is which is interesting the other thing that i learned about the school when i was there is you always see deborah meyer with her bag her shoulder bag that's because she never had an office 
um, hmm. you know, that she just was going from place to place. And that whole idea of the hierarchy and the principal's office is something that the school kind of avoided. I mean, obviously she had to have, you know, there was a place yeah. where faculty gathered, but um, she herself didn't have this kind of Did you, know, you ever principal's uh, office. meet her? I when I was there, she was she spoke to us a little bit like we, what we see at the end of the film when there are mm-hmm. visitors who come. But I don't I don't think I had an actual conversation with her as I remember. But I remember seeing her. I remember seeing her with her her purse. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and she's really an interesting person. Um, I don't you know, and I tried to do a little bit of research on what's going on with Central Park East now. The administrators mm. have changed, as mm-hmm. you know, would be expected. But um, they still, I mean, they are a school that does have certain admissions standards, sort of like Bronx High School of Science. It is a, you know, still a public school, but one that has a certain, you know, imprimatur that there, that there is a standard. Um, but at the time when I was there, I think they were taking um, students with you know, with more, um, you know, a greater range of academic abilities. Now I think it's become mm-hmm. a little bit more selective in that respect. Mm. Um, but, but you know, I don't know much about the school other than what I just read, um, you know, on their website, which, um, which suggests that they're still sort of, you know, still working along the same lines. But again, how many AP courses do they now offer? That kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. What What did you make of him putting that last scene or that, that end scene at the end? Like where we've just watched this three hour, 40 minute movie yeah. and now we're getting the uh, ethos from, from A little, that. I, I had mixed feelings about it. Um, it's certainly, you know, you could say, okay, this is the principal speaking a little bit like what we had at the end of high school, a very different, you know, saying very different things. Um, and you know, I mean, I thought it was interesting what she said when mm-hmm. she was making the analogy between Oxford and Cambridge, where the approach is a tutorial approach um, and how in kindergarten, yeah, you know, we just go with where the students are at that stage. That's what we're trying to do here. And, you know, I think we saw that whatever she said was absolutely true, because in most of the classrooms, there is like a teacher working with a student while other teachers or other students are working in groups there doesn't seem to be in some of the classes there's a somewhat traditional mm-hmm. you know yeah. class but for the most part there's a lot of individualized instruction which i think is what she's kind of getting at right that that that's sort of in you know what they are mm-hmm. um what they're going for yeah i feel like maybe it, it allows you to have already like by this time you've come to an opinion about what you've seen right and now get to like sort of judge that against like you know hearing it yeah. from the horse's mouth yeah yeah i think well, that's it's also really it's point. it's the second time like paul schwartz earlier towards the beginning of the film Talks does express the habits of the mind, habits of mind yeah, so yeah. this is this is kind of the second time you know kind of driving it home with and then right. also this kind of framing of you know pre-k and oxford and cambridge mm-hmm. you know and uh kind of kind of adding a little more color to the whole thing well i think it does what wiseman is so reluctant to do in any other way like through voiceover or written titles it does provide 
context. Um, and it does, it kind of book ends it, as you say, with Paul talking earlier and now Debbie at the, at the end. Um, and I think it serves a purpose. I mean, you know, it feels a little bit forced to me, but on the other hand, I don't know what else he would have done to tell mm. you the truth. Um, or, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I think it speaks to something too. I wanted to ask you both about, um, which is like, for Weissman, this seems perhaps even the most so like an unambiguous film. Like this is a good mm. institution operating, yes, you I know, agree with you. productively uh, for the benefit of the clients who come into contact with it. Right, you know, right. like like and even in interviews, he seems to be saying this. Like yes, like, right, you know, yes, this, yeah. as he and, was, and to it's me. it's the opposite. You know, he he thought he was doing that with Northeast. He had heard Northeast was a good school. He found the opposite to be the mm-hmm. case, and that's what mm-hmm. the film is. But this time, it it played out. So, do, do do it sounds like you guys had that sense. But I mean, within his body of work, you know, what what does it mean to you that he seems to kind of be pointing and being like, "This is good." Well, I mean, he's he said the same thing in interviews about at Berkeley, and at Berkeley is a very gray uh, area yeah. film. Um, totally. As, you know, National Gallery, the same thing. Obviously, he would say, like, National Gallery's, like, great. Like, yeah. they're doing great things. Ex Libris, but yeah. Ex Libris, um, I don't know. Yeah, Ex Libris is a bit more of, like, to me, like, uh, this is an obviously great institution and we need to do some, we need to do whatever we can to uphold this. But, um, but this comes after Zoo and Aspen and... Both of those films, I feel like I know. I like. I don't. I don't think that those are very great. Like Aspen, like is is seems very pointed about like who yeah. these people are. Zoo right. to me, like it, it comes off like almost comically. <laughs> like yeah, this, yeah. this, this, this is not a great place for for animals. Um, like and but but it's the film is about more than that. It's it's not really about like saying like whether this is a good place or a bad place. So in that in that way, high school two feels similar, but um, but obviously it's on the other spectrum. It's 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 about something that's positive, um, and I don't know. The first time I saw this, and where you don't exactly know, you know, because you haven't seen it yet, I kept being like looking for like all of the places, like oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Like you know, you don't exactly know. And this time I was able to just relax. And yes, there are there are places that rear its head you know we didn't mention this brief scene in the hallway of this this teacher like the student. Yeah. yeah yeah if you don't understand that then we need to have a conference with your advisor and your parents because i don't want you doing that anymore i don't think that's unreasonable you understand what i'm saying you don't decide to get up get your hat that's very rude and i don't treat you that way you understand what i'm saying if you don't you have a real big problem so, what are you going to do? Are you going to come back and sit down and do your work, or are you going to fool around? You decide. You decide. But in the grand scheme of things, I found it very, uh, po- like, a, a very positive experience to just watch, like, the interactions and how fruitful they, they can be and how respectful they, they can be. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean... <laughs> I don't think I've seen Zoo all the way through, and (laughs) I know I haven't seen Aspen, but, you know, I'm thinking about movies like, um, 
I'm thinking about near death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there seems to be a sense of respect for, you know, for, and, and again, I, I've seen it so long ago that you may be able to correct me on this. I may be wrong, but it does seem, and even I have to say that when I interviewed him, we were talking about welfare, which, which I find a fascinating movie. And, you know, he said, and I said, but isn't it absurd, you know, that this woman can't get an apartment for $175 because she's only allowed to spend 150 And I was actually surprised by his response. He said, well, you know, this is a huge system. There has to, there have, the rules are necessary. Um, you know, so I was surprised that he was, um, in a sense, almost defending the what seemed to me to be an absurd rule. But again, I think he also shows in that movie that, you know, the people working in the welfare system are themselves as much victimized as the people they're trying to help. Right. Um, So you, you know, you get the sense of, you know, he wants to, I think he wants to be sympathetic, but, but there is just so much, you know, that he seems overwhelming it's the five habits of mind you know there's always other perspectives to consider yeah yeah Mm, yeah yeah i think yeah rightfully so he defends this institution he found it to be a very you know he found it to be working um but he's also not saying this is what education looks like in in america at this point well (laughs) And, and he also he also you know in in a typical weisman fashion is like you know, would this school and, and program work in other right. cities and other contexts with right. others, you know, socioeconomic demographics? You know, he can't say. All he can say is it, it seems to be working here. That's yeah. right. That's right. And, um, you know, that would involve, like, a huge number of factors and variables, teacher training, how are yeah. teachers embracing the, you know, the five habits of mind, all that stuff. I mean, it's just a big, big issue. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it seems to me, you know, just watching the film that it, it's very contingent on having small class sizes and absolutely. like, like well, yeah, how, you couldn't, yeah. yeah, how how could you do this kind of level of individualized 25 instruction? Students. Yeah. That's right, right. that's like, right. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, um, you know, as part of what we were doing at my school, we went to visit various schools, and another school that I went to was Hunter High School, which is associated with Hunter College, and it's considered to be one of the best high schools in the city. Um, however, you know, the classes were like 30... 32 Mm. people um the students all go you know the students are very you know for the most part go on to college but it was a very different kind of and this is a school that's held up as one of the really good schools uh or it used to be anyway um versus you know what you have at central park east and i think that they are very selective in their admissions because they're very conscious of keeping their class sizes Uh, and the fact that they are economically able to do that, you know, is amazing. Good for them. You know, that's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Well, yeah, I had no idea that, um, uh, we would have such an apropos visitor on the on the podcast today. Um, <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> no, it was such a history of education. It's it's great, and in New York City, so um, it's great. Um, unless unless you have uh, something else you you want to say, we're, we're we 
Uh, no, except to thank you very much. It was really fun talking to both of you and, and it's so informative and gr- great work that you're doing. Keep going. Uh, hopefully you, Fred too. will keep going. Um, yeah. You know, I, I worry, you know, he's one of our elders uh, and, and I just hope he stays healthy and vibrant and keeps making movies, you know. Tell us the change. I want to hear the good news. What's the change? What happened? I have my work done. When? I have my work done last week. Last week? Did yeah. you get your work done last week, David? Yes. Yeah. You, you can say you get your work done, but there's the amount of work that you get done. There's a percentage of the time that you spend avoiding work, doing something else. But I got That's work. That's greater than the percentage of the time that you get work done. Okay, well, let's deal with the good news. Did, did Lemuria get some work done? Yeah, she's getting more work done, yes. Okay, so... As opposed... Yeah, all right, I'm not going to qualify it anymore. Okay. You understand the fact that I want you to get more work done. Yes, I understand that.